Hello and welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era, or, well, in this case, one particular episode of a different show from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. Or hell, just give us five stars on iTunes without writing a review, because that's helpful too. And alright, well, so today's episode of the podcast will be covering the pilot episode of SmackDown. And so, because this is such a monumental event, I once again had to enlist the help of a special guest co-host. Joining the Raw Attitude Podcast for the second time from the New Blood Rising Podcast, from Wrestling in the Clinton Years, and on top of that, the creator of the Raw Attitude Podcast logo, that's the good one with Rock and Austin, not the shitty one I created, he is none other than Mr. Martin Dixon. So Martin, would you care to let the fans of the Raw Attitude Podcast know what you've been up to lately? Uh, yes, yeah. Um, as you've mentioned, I'm still affiliated with uh, New Blood Rising, although I'm not appearing in a uh, like a performance role. I'm just more hype man at the moment until <laughs> I get back on the show. Um, yep, Wrestling in the Clinton Years. It is for those who don't know. It is my book collection of uh, blogs that I did watching WCW Nitro week by week, very much in the similar vein to to this kind of show but focused on the run-up to the NWO um, to see if the WWE version of history matches up with the reality. But basically, WCW suck until the NWO. <laughs> um, spoilers, some of it's really, really good. Oh, yeah, um, oh, yeah. So that is available. I've uh, written a few other things as well and just try and, just try and muddle through the weird, weird world of being a wrestling fan in this late 2010s period. Can I also give a shout out to the art that you're frequently posting on Twitter as well? Yes, by all means. Um, just as a as a, a side gig, just to keep myself busy and keep my hands occupied, um, I've taken to seeing if I can do some kind of drawing per day or every two days just to see what I, just to see see if I can improve what skills I had as a as a teenager when I used to draw all kinds of weird stuff. Some of it's wrestling themed, some of it isn't, some of it's colour, some of it isn't, some of it's good, some of it isn't, but it's, yeah, it's just all there on my Twitter. I, I'd say it's all good, it's a lot better than anything I can do, that's for sure. That's, that's, that's true, but uh, you're dealing with someone who, who uh, with very, very, very big self-loathing issues, so nothing I ever do is good enough. Oh, fair. I, I can actually relate to that as well a little bit. I'm pretty sure a lot of people can. Absolutely. Oh, and actually, I don't think we mentioned, what is your Twitter handle, by the way? Oh yeah, it's at Bunny Suicida. Um, bunny as in Bunny Rabbit. S U I C I D A, all one word. And you can just find me on there, just throwing up thoughts whenever it happens. 
Um, and by all means, you know, if anybody wants to start a conversation, just ask. I'll try and answer in a, as timely a fashion as possible. Fantastic, yeah. So definitely be sure to follow him on Twitter because Martin always has some good stuff going on there, whether it's art or whether it's just posting. Always, always some good stuff there. So definitely be sure to do that. Thank you very much. No problem. Uh, now, before we begin, I want to quickly mention one interesting tidbit on my end here. So we're taping this episode of the podcast well in advance, spoiler alert, but I will actually be attending the second ever episode of the new AEW show on October 9th, which will take place right here in Boston, Massachusetts. Very psyched about that. So Adam from Nitromania and Sal from WrestleMania Salvation will be joining me. So hopefully we'll witness an amazing show that will make the WWE look like complete shit by comparison. So Martin, are you actually excited uh, as I am about the launch of the new AEW show? I am. Because, I mean, we've seen new wrestling companies kind of spring up, but nothing with this amount of buzz and and verve and, and zeal from all involved. It's, it seems like you know, the guys involved will not be denied. It, they've had this idea for a long time, and come hell or high water, they're going to make it some kind of success. And what I've seen so far of AEW, going all the way back to All In, before there even was an AEW, and it was just a, a Bullet Club pay-per-view, um, has been, at the very least, enjoyable. To their credit, they've managed to make me aware of some guys that, uh, or some guys and gals that you just don't, I haven't seen before as like a, a sort of casual-ish hardcore-ish fan. So guys like uh, Luchasaurus, uh, Jungle Boy, Orange Cassidy, even if the whole AEW experiment fails within six months, they've made quite a lot of stars <laughs> wherever they go. Very true. Very true. I think it's going to be a success. I don't want to jinx it too much, but I'll make the prediction now because, as I said, we're taping this well in advance. We're taping this in late August. Spoiler alert. <laughs> pulling, okay. pulling back the curtain there. Uh, we're taping this in late August, and but the announcement here just a little while ago was made that you know NXT is going to go head-to-head with AEW. So for my money, I feel like AEW can actually win, if, if you want to call it even a Wednesday night war, I feel like AEW can win that because it's kind of their A-show versus the WWE's you know, quote-unquote you know, C show, I guess. Not not that the NXT's a bad show, it's just that it's not the marquee show like a Raw is. So I think not, that's... Not to yeah. take anything away from NXT, but yeah, it's... I think NXT might be a tougher sell to some of the more casual WWE fans. Nothing against them, because NXT is a wonderful show. Absolutely. Does... Is the world ready for a... If NXT just happens to be on in its, its current form, that quite resolutely old school production values of I mean it's almost like the old NWA TV at times I just wonder if in 2019 uh, the extremely casual audience might not be thinking where's the Roman Reigns where's the John Cena's and again that's not to underestimate any fans it's just I think NXT has more of an uphill battle than we might think Yeah, it's funny you mention that too because when I was uh, talking with Adam and Sal about this, though, the two guys who've been on the show quite a bit, uh, the two guys I'll be going to AEW with, I was saying how you'll probably, nothing has obviously been announced for the first episode of NXT on the USA Network yet, but I was saying that I feel like the main event for that first show is going to be like John Cena versus The Undertaker, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, hey, come see NXT, and uh, by the way, here uh, here's a nice main event for you to keep you watching, because you might see these guys next week, but you almost certainly will not see those guys next week. So I don't know if that's the tack they're going to go. I feel like, they, I, I'm being kind of facetious here i feel like they're not going to put big you know the big wwe stars on they will stick with that core nxt group but i i suppose we'll see 
I could possibly see someone like a Seth Rollins, after all, you know, first ever NXT champion, that kind of thing. It might be him versus one of the bigger guys there, which would be a nice taster. The only problem is, do do you have Seth lose on, on your quote-unquote C-show? I, would, I wouldn't mind, because I'm not the world's biggest fan of Seth Rollins, I'll admit. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, but, you know, it's it's just that kind of thing. I could honestly see some of the guys who went through, you know, the modern NXT system on that first show, and that would make perfect thematic sense. Yeah, although they'll, they, they might end up throwing someone else on there who was never in NXT, and we'll have to talk that away. But I will say this, at two hours there is a chance that, there's, that there are some guys in the WWE developmental program who can't even get on NXT TV. So hopefully now there is a chance. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I actually like what you're saying there, because I think that does make sense, bringing back the people who've gone through the NXT system to maybe be on the first episode or couple episodes, because I think they have a two, they have about a two-episode head start before AEW's show starts up, so they're, I'm yeah. sure they're going to try to do as much as possible to get as many eyeballs there. But uh, ultimately, again, I'm making this prediction about a month and a half in advance. I think AEW will win that quote-unquote ratings battle. I could be wrong, but we shall see. We shall see. I think... When when this battle becomes international, I think AEW will have a significant head start over NXT because it will be on free-to-air TV in a lot of countries, including the UK. So literally anyone who owns a television set will be able to watch AEW without having to pay either a network fee or a subscription fee to a pay TV service because all WWE TV, including NXT, is on a paid TV subscription over here and oh. in a lot of Europe. So like WCW before it, they have a very, very good chance at getting some kind of foothold internationally. There you go. That's that's good international uh, advice there, stuff we might not even it think is. about from our, from our US audience here. We might not even like realize that, but that's actually some good insight. Oh, thank you very much. It's, 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 uh, it's why I'm here. Yes, clearly. But yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited to be going to the second ever AEW show. We'll see how it goes. So you should, because I imagine those first few shows will be incredibly well supported. Oh yeah, I think so too. But yeah, there is a thing. As much as I I worry that AEW might fizzle out, there is enough money behind them. I mean, you know, not every wrestling company has a uh, has a billionaire uh, in their corner. And yeah, there just seems to be this energy and this drive in all involved. For all the talk of guys like uh, Cody roads taking shot after shot after shot at wwe the guy does have a chip on his shoulder and that can work in its favor oh yeah and in fairness i think triple h has taken some shots at them too or or was yes. it vince who was saying like they were doing like blood and guts or something like that yes yeah he he's taken a few shots triple h i, I think triple h finds it all quite funny i wouldn't think he's like pissed or angry per se I think he likes the the idea of living rent free in someone's head. So, <laughs> and with that may come complacency. I mean, if there is to be a quote unquote war in all of this, I can see both parties just coming off well and surviving and settling into some kind of status quo. I don't think it necessarily has to be to the death like WWF versus WCW was. Yeah, well, I guess I suppose time will tell. Yes. 
And this has been AEW Talk. So tune in next week. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so um, like I was saying, just one more quick plug here too, because I mentioned I'm going to that show with Sal and with Adam. Uh, on the note of WrestleMania Salvation Sal's podcast, by the time this episode goes up, my episode of WrestleMania Salvation should also be available as well. So Sal and I actually end up discussing WrestleMania 30, and I would say definitely be sure to download that show because I'm sure I'll end up telling the story of how my wife a non-wrestling fan was the only person at our viewing party who correctly predicted that Brock Lesnar would end the streak. So good times, good times. But all right, Martin, so are you ready to get into the show? Bone ready. Excellent. Now, before we start this episode of the podcast, I have a quick bit of history for you here. So this pilot episode of SmackDown is airing on UPN, which at the time was one of the six major broadcast networks here in the United States. Prior to tonight, the last time the WWF was shown in primetime on one of the major television networks was Saturday night's main event on Fox way back on November 14th, 1992. And in case you're wondering, the main event on that show was WWF champion Bret Hart putting his belt on the line against Papa Shango. Spoiler alert, Shango didn't win that night, but he is the reigning intercontinental champion on our timeline, so that's good. And as for UPN... <laughs> As for UPN, as I mentioned a moment ago, they were one of the six major broadcast networks in the U.S. at the time, but I think it's safe to call them a distant sixth. So, in fact, I went ahead and found the Nielsen ratings for the 1998-99 television season, and as it turns out, there were 158 TV shows across the six main networks this season, and UPN had the 16 lowest-rated shows on network television. And just for some perspective here, Martin, I'm going to give you a quick list of some shows which had aired on UPN up to this point, if you'll indulge me for a moment. By all means. <laughs> so these are all actual shows. This is, this is all real. So we had Breaker High, a show about high school that took place on a cruise ship for some reason. We had The Watcher, a drama set in Las Vegas starring... Sir Mix-a-Lot, so yes, you heard that correctly, the rapper who did Baby Got Back was somehow given his own television show. We had Hits, and that's H-I-T-Z, starring Andrew Dice Clay as a record company executive. Swift Justice, about a detective named Max Swift, and I swear that actually sounds like a parody of a television show. Homeboys in Outer Space, which I assume is exactly what it sounds like. Love Boat, The Next Wave, which Goldberg and Kevin Nash actually end up appearing on in one episode. And, yeah, oh yeah, it's great. And The Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer, which several organizations protested before it even aired because it was a lighthearted sitcom about slavery in the 1860s. And not surprisingly, most of these shows ended up being canceled after just one season, or as I believe they say in the UK, one series. Is that right? Yes. Yes, it is. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> but basically, Martin, you can see my general point here. UPN has been airing a lot of shit up to 1999, <laughs> so it makes sense for them to take a risk on SmackDown because if they can bring over the WWF's audience, the network's overall rating will almost certainly increase. I, I would imagine it would double, nay, triple overnight. Yes, it'll, it'll triple the ratings for Homeboys in Outer Space. Yeah, oh, Love Boat. I really wanted you to say Love Boat, The Next Generation there, for some some reason. I was a huge fan of Star Trek, The Next Generation. Oh, actually, well, funny enough, the one show, I, I mentioned this a little bit later, but the one show that is actually relatively popular on UPN at this time is Star Trek Voyager. So they do have one oh. thing going. Yeah, they got one thing going for them. They do, they do. And, and just when you mentioned that Goldberg and Kevin Nash appear in a show, I love when wrestlers appear in like, non-wrestling shows. Oh, yeah. When yeah, the, I think my favourite is still Booker T, Buff Bagwell, and Scott Steiner in Charmed. Oh wow! I didn't even realise that happened. 
that is a thing that happened and they they write wrestling into the show because they don't appear as themselves <laughs> jeez well i yeah. remember too th- this show hasn't aired yet but i remember distinctly when smackdown spoiler alert gets picked up by upn for a full run i remember quite a few wwf guys being on that show shasta mcnasty so yeah the, the name the name rings a bell but i always thought that was like some kind of late night adult parody show <laughs> Yeah, well, the name only rings a bell because I remember it being promoted heavily when I would watch SmackDown. I yeah. I don't think it lasted very long, but I remember it being like, oh, the big show on Shasta McNasty or whoever the hell. So, but yeah. So even though Monday Night Raw is on cable, at this point, almost nothing on UPN is pulling a rating even remotely close to what Raw is bringing in every week. So this SmackDown test run is actually a very calculated risk for them. Now, will this one-off episode do a high enough rating to make UPN consider picking this show up full-time in the fall? I suppose we'll find out. I, I think it's. I think you probably know the answer. But with that being said, Martin, are you ready to dive into SmackDown? Yes, I am. Fantastic. So it is Thursday, April 29th, 1999, and we are pre-taped two days in advance from New Haven Coliseum in New Haven, Connecticut, less than a one-hour drive from WWF headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut. Some of the other noteworthy shows which have taken place in this same venue include three episodes of Wrestling Challenge in 1987, seven episodes of Superstars, and 11 episodes of Monday Night Raw, including the episode from December 7th, 1998, covered in episode number 51 of this podcast, where The Undertaker, quote-unquote, crucified Steve Austin. So we open the show with highlights from Backlash and the following night's episode of Raw, specifically The Rock getting jumped by the corporation and finally turning babyface, and Stone Cold Steve Austin coming to Stephanie McMahon's rescue when The Undertaker attempted to marry her against her will. And awesomely, they're playing Carl Orp's O Fortuna in the background during this montage, which is a can't-miss tune for any highlights package. And I'm actually going to go ahead and play some of it for you here so you can see what I mean. Controlling interest, you got it signed, sealed. Vince, I want Steve Austin to bring them to me. What? Alone. Vince McMahon needs Steve Austin. Stone Cold needs Vince McMahon to kiss his ass. The Undertaker and the Ministry have brought Stephanie McMahon to the ring, strapped to that symbol. I am not to blame for what is about to happen here. I now pronounce you as the unholy union of darkness. You may now kiss your bride. Here it comes. Stone Cold and the Undertaker going toe to toe. Austin fights for all he's got. The ceremony's over. He didn't do it for the love of Vince McMahon. He just did it because it was right. The black wedding has ended. Vince McMahon reunited with his daughter Stephanie. Thanks to Stone Cold Steve Austin. It never fails, I'm telling you. So from there, we queue up the opening credits, and Martin, I played the SmackDown theme song at the top of the show here, but what are your thoughts on this one? Do you enjoy that SmackDown theme? There is a ton of nostalgia attached to it, but as a theme, I, I, I've never really liked it. I just kind of appreciate it now. Right. Because it, it, it's, it's, it's neater than just having just grabbing a song kind of off the shelf to just throw in like as as Raw did like throughout all the uh, all the two thousands, how you get like your nickelbacks, your drowning pools, that kind of thing. It's it's unique to to SmackDown. Um and I think it it's it's very of its time. It's very, very late nineties, early two thousands. I don't like it, but I don't <laughs> I, I I'll not get in the face of anybody that does, let's put it that way. <laughs> 
I think it's kind of catchy, but at the same time, I'm. It sounds like there are lyrics, but I'll be goddamned if I can understand a single one of them. Because yeah. all I all I can hear is like blah 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 blah. It's like I don't know what the hell that guy is saying. Even like now, twenty years later, I have no clue. Yeah, it's like when I used to listen to you know like metal bands like Napalm Death in the nineties. It was just it was just a series of grunts, but apparently there were lyrics underneath it. <laughs> right. Or maybe like smells like Teen Spirit, where you're like, okay, this sounds good. I don't know what he's saying, but it sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And so after we get the opening credits, we go into the arena for the pyro and, of course, the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Now, some of the noteworthy signs in the audience tonight include, I've got gas, I bought steroids from Vince, Janetti for life, Big Loss Man, Nicole Bass, Will You Marry Me, Dr. Yankum uses Nova Kane, that's pretty good, that's clever, uh, Yeah. 20 pounds of monkey crap with an arrow pointing downward. Can I be your water boy, Captain Insano? A reference to the Big Show's character from the Adam Sandler movie, The Water Boy. Shane has balls the size of grape nuts. Bischoff takes it on the chin. Mark Canterbury, the Southern Justice problem solver, which is particularly strange since Canterbury has been retired since September. 89 days till Raw is Jericho. Spoiler, that person was actually off by 13 days, but not bad. And this is all on one sign. Road Dog, I'll let you see my puppies anytime. Badass, you can look at my TNA as long as you want. And fittingly, she actually wrote TNA as the letters TNA, not TNA. So basically, that woman predicted Jeff Jarrett's company three years in advance. She predicted the Voodoo Kid Mafia angle of them calling out DX. <laughs> Fair point. That's true, actually, yeah. A, a very very prescient and somewhat literate fan, given she managed to get all that on a sign. Yeah, very, very much so. But were there any uh, were there any other signs you noticed that I happened to miss there, Martin? Uh, no, I, I think you covered it all. Um, I For this one, I, I find myself just transfixed by it all, because I forgot just how many pieces of damn card there used to be in, in, uh, <laughs> in wrestling audiences. I think you were not allowed in unless you brought a sign. Yeah. I, I I would like to imagine that tickets were you know, like seating was given on like a like a merit based thing. It's like how how offensive is your sign denotes how close to the ring you get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or maybe like if you didn't bring in a sign, like when you got to your seat, there was just like a, a cardboard, a little like piece of cardboard there with a marker next to it, and like come on, you got to do it, you got to do it. Yes. And so when we get that scanning of the crowd, we can hear who our commentators will be for this evening, the unique pairing of Michael Cole and Jim Cornette. Now, remember that Cornette actually did Raw this past Monday night, so he's been getting a bit of a run lately. But Martin, did you enjoy the the Corny-Cole combo tonight? I did. I did. There's something about Jim Cornette that makes me want to punch him (laughs) in, in in, in the modern day, but totally respect him in the 80s and the 90s he he was perhaps a good fit for this because if this show you know is a is a pilot and he's kind of geared towards new viewers perhaps or with certainly with an eye to that I'll, I'll discuss that more as we get through the body of the show but he's he's a good good person to have because he he can get a lot of complex information over very quickly and understandably and Cole for his faults, he's at least a good hype man. His voice sounds good in you know in like the short bursts you hear in video packages, that kind of thing. So no, it, it's it's I find it find it found it surprisingly pleasant on the ears. Yeah, it's a it's a solid combo. 
that may be because of the lack of Jerry Lawler, <laughs> who even 20 years ago was incredibly insufferable. Yes, well, this is still very early on in the, the puppies era where Jerry Lawler is just going apeshit on every broadcast talking about puppies. Yeah. So. so, yeah. But yeah, I think this is a good combination as well. And uh, modern day Jim Cornette, just, uh, just don't piss him off by disrespecting the business or he will go on a tirade against you on Twitter for sure. And don't snitch tag him in tweets. It's 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 not a good... I mean, you know, snitches get stitches. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's be real. He will hit you with his tennis racket. And so we officially kick off the show with Vince McMahon and a very smiley Stephanie McMahon walking to the ring, accompanied by four police officers. Now, in case you need a refresher, this episode of SmackDown is airing just three days after Stone Cold Steve Austin interrupted the Black Wedding, saving Stephanie from being married to The Undertaker against her will. And Martin, as I mentioned on the previous episode of this podcast, when I praised that Black Wedding segment on Twitter recently, it resulted in Vince Russo following me on Twitter. So I'm pretty proud of that. I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, so you should. You, you got that, uh, that Vince Russo follow. All I've ever got from Vince Russo was a, a, a mild argument. <laughs> well, those are fun, too. Those are also fun. Yes. Yeah, I got a mild argument about clickbait, apparently. Oof. Yeah, I, I wasn't fishing for it, by the way. I was just kind of, like, tweeting at him. I was like, wow, this was actually really good booking, Vince Russo. Well done. And he, like, followed me back, and he retweeted, and I was like, oh, okay. All right. Sweet. Good stuff. I mean, in the in the game that is Twitter, and let's face it, it is a meta game of getting getting all the attention you can get. That's a good win. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. So, yes, so Vince McMahon grabs a microphone, and despite the fact that they are quite clearly trying to make him into more of a babyface, the New Haven crowd greets him with loud asshole chants, which I'm surprised they actually allowed to air on network television because they could have censored it, but oh well. Uh, for his part, though, Vince acknowledges it by saying that he has been one in the past, but he hopes he can change. And he's going to start by thanking three people who tried to help out Stephanie this past Monday when she was abducted by The Undertaker, Ken Shamrock, The Big Show, and, yes, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Vince then hands the microphone to Stephanie, and Martin, you're witnessing history here. This is Stephanie McMahon's first ever in-ring promo. We've seen her do some pre-taped spots alongside Vince, but this is the first time she's actually gotten the chance to speak at length in front of a live crowd. And honestly, it looks like she's having a little bit of trouble keeping a straight face here, which is unfortunate because she's talking about some pretty crazy shit. In fact, take a listen to her promo, and my god, be sure to listen to the parts that the fans pop for, because, sweet Jesus, this is some pretty dark stuff. The two moments there that got the biggest pops from the crowd were Stephanie saying that The Undertaker stripped off her clothes and that he wouldn't stop touching her. I mean, that is uncomfortable to hear 20 years later, folks. Not a good look from the WWF fans. In fact, Martin, I think this promo may be the reason that Stephanie single-handedly decided to start the women's revolution 16 years later. Just a thought. Just a thought. Just out of sheer spite. That's right. For fans cheering for... 
essentially, you know, sexual assault. Yes, pretty much. Yeah, that that dates it. That really dates. Yeah, it really does. The Undertaker, he kept touching me. Woo! Oh. <laughs> you, you, you can't cheer that in 2019. I know. Nor, sh- nor should you have in 1999. <laughs> the Undertaker, he said to me, and I'm quoting, I'm either going to get shit on my dick or blood on my knife. Woo! Yeah, woo! God. <laughs> that, by the way, that's, just so you know, uh, that's an exact quote from the movie The Butterfly Effect, which is terrible. So that, yeah. that has actually been uttered, just so we're clear. Uh, Stephanie doesn't say that, but you get the idea. And was probably the first draft of her speech. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, thankfully, thankfully, good taste prevailed on this night. Yes. But yes, yeah, so Stephanie wraps up her promo by thanking Stone Cold Steve Austin, but then she turns her attention to The Undertaker and says that she hopes that he burns in hell. So Vince then takes back the microphone and says he has a promise for Stone Cold, but before we can hear what that is, the corporation's music plays. And yes, that does indeed bring out the entire corporation, Shane McMahon, Triple H, China, The Big Boss Man, Rodney, and Pete Gass. And of particular note here is the fact that Test is apparently no longer with the corporation. Now, remember this past Monday on Raw, Test and The Big Boss Man lost their match against Mankind in the Big Show, and after the match, Test and Boss Man fought with each other, culminating with Boss Man hitting him with a nightstick. And then later in the show, when the Acolytes attacked Ken Shamrock... Test came to Shamrock's aid. So when Raw ended, Test's status with the corporation was a bit ambiguous, but now we can see that he has officially left. So anyway, tonight the remaining corporation members come to the ring, and Martin, when I first watched this segment, I was initially keeping an eye on Triple H because I was thinking, I wonder if he'll be trying to get an eyeful of Stephanie during this segment, but unfortunately though, not the case. And uh, Triple H, by the way, is wearing a WWF Attitude shirt, so welcome to Jobbertown, USA, my friend. Yes. That nothing signifies your place on the card like wearing a generic logo shirt or the pay-per-view that... Well, if if you're wearing the pay-per-view that's coming up next, you're of, of like, low but somewhat decent standing. If you're wearing the pay-per-view of the... Uh, wearing the shirt of the pay-per-view that's just happened... You, my friend, are in deep trouble. That's, that's the right. If you're still wearing that WrestleMania hockey jersey, you're you're in trouble. Yes, yeah, your career, uh, your contract is not getting renewed. No, but yes. So once again, Shane McMahon confronts his father and tells him that instead of thanking Stone Cold Steve Austin, he should go back to being the ruthless tycoon that he always was. Vince then starts to step toward Shane, but Hunter and China get in his way, and from there, Shane pretty much tells Vince and Stephanie to get lost, and so they head backstage. Once again, it appears that Vince does not want to put Stephanie in harm's way, so he decides to escort her back up the ramp. So now, with the corporation alone in the ring, let's take a listen to what Shane has to say. Now that little nuisance is over, let me get down to business right here this evening. You see, there have been two thorns in Shane McMahon's side as of late. Two people, matter of fact, and they're both tied for number one on Shane McMahon's hit list. And that is the so-called people's champ, The Rock. And Stone Cold Steve Austin. Since you both have had such a nice history together, since you can't get along at all, you want to tear each other's heads off, you know what? Tonight, in this very ring, Stone Cold Steve Austin will be teamed up 
with the Brahma Bull, The Rock. Whoa! No, you, that's never happened. Arch rivals teaming up tonight. The only thing I need now is some opponents for Stone Cold and The Rock. Are there any volunteers? Yeah, of course, corporate sellout. Triple H, contestant number one to take on The Rock and Stone Cold, Steve Austin. Are there any more volunteers? The possible one in. Everybody's volunteering. Are there any takers? Wait a minute. I was only moments away from making Stephanie McMahon my bride and servant. See, Austin, what you've done is stick your nose in a place where it had no business. Monday night, you played the role of the spoiler. Tonight, I'm going to play multiple roles. Judge, jury, executioner. have it martin tonight on the pilot episode of smackdown we have us one hell of a tag team match wwf champion stone cold steve austin and the rock versus triple h and the undertaker and as you heard at the end there michael cole and jim Cornette are wondering how shane managed to convince triple h and the undertaker to team up but perhaps we'll have more on that later so martin how did you feel about our opening promo segment i kind of enjoyed it there was a lot in this to like Vince playing something other than Mr. McMahon was kind of a revelation. Yeah, it's weirdly sort of pensive Vince is is a good is a good character. I wish he'd have played more instead of the eye swiveling lunatic evil Vince that we <laughs> get before and will will indeed after this. Yeah, the crowd stuff not great. And the 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 Shane stuff, you know, the interactions between them despite not having seen a lot of this era of WWF in 20 years, I was totally caught up. Nice. And I can, I can say nothing better than that. It got everything across that it needed to get across. And, yeah, it set up a killer main event, which, you know, you put those names on a marquee now, and you're guaranteed a sellout. 
and they were just giving it away for free, literally for free on free TV, not yeah. even on cable. Yeah, I like that you mentioned the part about being caught up because watching this episode, because it's the first episode on network TV, I get the sense that they were kind of like, a lot of the people were kind of like introducing themselves, which which Mankind literally does in a promo yes. later. But yeah. but a lot of it's kind of like, oh, here's The Undertaker, and here's the corporation, here's blah, blah, blah. I, I think yeah. even the commentators like Cornette and Cole throughout the night are kind of like saying, you know, giving like little backstories on everyone because I think they're really thinking that now, you know, they're going to be bringing in an audience, you know, more so than just their cable audience. Like maybe if people are, I don't know, flipping channels and stop on UPN, that they can be like, yeah. well, here's here's who Shane McMahon is and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I, I think that does make a lot of sense that, uh, and, that you were able a, to get cut up. Yeah, and that's a fair sort of way to, to pull this kind of show. Instead of just being, you know, like another two hours of, of Raw, they wisely went with the slightly different take, just on the off chance that, yeah, maybe there were some new fans who hadn't or well those people that remember like you said saturday night's main event in 1992 there might be some of those people and it's like well here's the new status quo in the in, in the wwf you know there's no brett there's well there is a there is papa shango but <laughs> not, not as you remember him but you know that kind of thing and it kind of works and i think just generally overall the whole show is like a nice grab bag of like a like, almost like a sampler or like a sampler album when a record company will just put together like the best of its of the acts on its books and put that out to try and entice new people to stick around. I think that's what this show predominantly was. And I liked it because it was just nice and easy to digest. It didn't require much research or forethought on my part as a viewer. Nice. It's it's like a it's a wrestling buffet. Like, oh, I think I'll go back for more yes. of that of that Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, maybe maybe not seconds for this Darren Drozda, but I want more of this Stone Cold. This is delicious. <laughs> yes. And just one last thing. I, it was probably incredibly intentional, but I did like the fact of the Undertaker using uh, uh, referencing the, playing the quote unquote the spoiler because it was the classic wrestler the spoiler who gave him the rope walk slash old school move. Oh wow, that's a that's a good pull. Yeah, he he took that from Don Jardine, I think, who wrestled as the spoiler. Don't know if he like officially trained him, but he certainly was inspired by him because he he could do the the rope walk that uh, the Undertaker does. That's a really good pull because when he said that, when I was watching the promo and he said, you know, he's going to play the role of the spoiler, I just got a chuckle because I was like, well, spoiler. The term spoiler, I don't think, was a thing by this point. Because nowadays, no. nowadays, if you said, I'm going to play the spoiler, people would probably be like, well, you're going to tell us what happens by the end of the show? What, what does that mean? Yeah, I, I think what he meant was in that he was going to be, you know, like the, the rain on the parade kind of thing. Right. The the pissing on the bonfire, you know, the yeah. <laughs> the ruiner. But just for me, as one of those, you know, as a, as a really nerdy fan, I can put those two things together in a way that makes sense to me, I did get a bit of a laugh out of it. <laughs> yes. Uh, also, too, I will say one thing that tripped me up for a second there was it sounded like The Undertaker said he was going to be the coroner, and I was like, oh, I think he meant, I think he meant coroner, right? That, yes. Yeah. So, so just at first, I was like, wait, I, I, I like rewound it, because I was like, coroner? What? He's going to be in the coroner? Oh, oh, coroner. Got it. Okay, okay. So after that promo concludes, we get a rundown of tonight's matches, and then... We cut backstage where Jeff Jarrett and Deborah are looking for Owen Hart, who is apparently missing, and well, fuck it, let's just take a listen. Where the hell is he? He knows he's got a match now. Did you check your voice message? Maybe. It's not like you have to show up. The WWF needs a superhero, and I'm here to bring him one! Woo! That's the blue blazer! 
so Martin, at this point, I was tempted to just write the word fuck with about 26 U's because, <laughs> because after Jeff Jarrett says he can't find Owen Hart, we cut elsewhere backstage where we see the Blue Blazer and we hear what is clearly Owen's voice saying that the WWF needs a superhero. Now, for those scoring at home, this is the first time we've seen the Blue Blazer on WWF television since the January 31st episode of Sunday Night Heat where the man inside the Blazer costume was... Coco, beware. Now, remember that the previous storyline here was that various wrestlers, including Owen, Jarrett, and yes, even Coco, beware, would wear the blazer costume, but tonight it appears they're pretty much just saying, screw it, Owen is now officially the blue blazer, and, uh, like I said, fuck. But, yeah, yeah this is this is how it begins. This is, this is the official transition of Owen back into the blazer. But uh, from there, we cut back into the arena, where it is time for the first match ever in the history of SmackDown, Val Venus versus Jeff Jarrett, who is accompanied by Deborah. And the commentators actually inform us that it was supposed to be Owen who was going to face Val, but he's nowhere to be found, so Jarrett will have to take his place. And also, Martin, did you notice the hilarious discrepancy that Jarrett grabs a mic before the match and says that not knowing where Owen is pisses him off and the censors bleep the word piss, despite the fact that Jarrett is wearing a shirt that has the phrase, don't piss me off, written on it. Yes, yeah, there's a bit of the old cognitive dissonance there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't say it, but you can certainly read it. Yes. I mean, sure, you can wear the word on a shirt, but just don't say it, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, seeing the word is nothing like hearing the word. <laughs> that's right. I guess that's oh. like in case there are any illiterate fans watching, they might not know that it says the word piss, but if he says it, then there's no, there's no doubt whatsoever. Yeah. I thought it was like those um, when WCW Nitro would bleep random words to make it seem like guys were swearing. Oh. T at times. Um, you won't have come across that in the timeline yet, but it's, that's a thing that happens when your, bo when your boy Vince Russo takes over. So would they be going like, hey man, you can go freak yourself and just censor it or something? I think, they, I think it was the word screw, as in screw you or I'm getting screwed. They would bleep oh. that to make it sound as though people were saying fuck. Oh, man. Well, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I figured they'd have to hide their, their faces from that then, or, like, cut away from them, because you can clear... If they're not making the... Saying the word fuck is, like, a clearly different motion with your mouth than saying screw, you know? Yeah, they, they weren't that clever about it. Yeah, <laughs> well, what a, what a surprise. What a surprise. So, anyway, as soon as the bell rings, go figure... The Blue Blazer just runs down to the ring and tackles Val Venus anyway, and Jarrett then just leaves the ring, so it appears that our match actually will be Val Venus versus the Blue Blazer, as originally scheduled, although I guess originally it was Owen, but, y you know, you get the idea. Yeah. So Venus and the Blazer proceed to have a pretty solid match, albeit a short one. However, with Val on the offensive, Deborah then proceeds to get up on the ring apron and attempt to distract Val... However, it doesn't work because the Blazer tries to take the advantage, but Val manages to hit him with a perfect plex, or I guess in Val's case, maybe it would be a pervert plex. So unfortunately for Val, though, referee Mike Kyoto still has his back turned because he's telling Deborah to get down from the ring apron, so Jeff Jarrett uses that opportunity to sneak into the ring, and with Val still bridging in the perfect plex, Jarrett kicks him right in the dick. Ow. And from there, Double J exits the ring, the Blue Blazer rolls over and pins Val, Kyoto turns back around, and yes, he counts the one, the two, and the three. Your winner of the first ever match in SmackDown history, the Blue Blazer. 
And Jeff Jarrett must have one hell of a kick because just punting Val in the dick apparently rendered him unable to kick out of a pinfall. So that's quite a boot he has there. It is. Although, in Val's defense, if he was working his other job, because remember, he's one of those two-job superstars. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, <laughs> um, if he was working his other job, I imagine he'd be quite tender in that area. Fair point. That is a fair point. Yeah. And then, as soon as the match concludes, Nicole Bass comes down to the ring. Now, Martin, in case you aren't familiar with this storyline, Nicole Bass helped Val win a mixed tag team match on the most recent episode of Sunday Night Heat, and since then, she has been literally pursuing Val and saying that he owes her, meaning that she's trying to force Val into having sex with her. So yeah, that's a thing. And once again tonight, instead of giving Nicole what she wants, Val proceeds to run away and head backstage as Nicole follows him up the ramp. And then, because this segment wasn't overbooked enough already, your WWF Intercontinental Champion, The Godfather, comes out from backstage, accompanied by two of his hoes. And for those scoring at home, on the episode of Raw, which aired three days prior to tonight, The Godfather faced Jeff Jarrett for the title, with the stipulation being that Deborah would become a hoe if Jarrett lost the match. And Jarrett did indeed lose, but Owen Hart whisked Deborah away from ringside after the match, before The Godfather could sell her into a life of sexual slavery which of course means that Owen is the heel in that scenario. And on that note, when The Godfather comes out tonight, Michael Cole gets in the wonderful line, quote, The Godfather is coming to collect. He's coming to claim his property. Ugh. Yeah. Rarely do I need to take a shower after watching a wrestling segment. You're right. That was one of them. Gross. On a, a slightly you know, happier and not incredibly misogynist uh, note... Hugh also now in for wrestling most of that match wearing a big feathery cape. That is true. That that took more skill than perhaps someone is willing to admit. And it did lead to the incredible sight of Val suplexing the blue blazer whilst he was wearing the cape. Yes. Which then which then left Val wearing the cape. <laughs> I totally missed that actually. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, they cut away to it quite quickly, so I assume there was a big big edit where he, uh, he struggled with it afterwards, but it does end up around Val's neck. Oh, jeez. After a suplex. <laughs> but yes, so so basically Godfather runs into the ring, and he manages to knock both Jarrett and the Blue Blazer down to the floor. He then comes face-to-face with Deborah and does the choo-choo arm motion, but that provides a fitting opportunity for Jarrett and the Blazer to re-enter the ring. So both men then proceed to beat the crap out of Godfather and leave him laying, and they then head backstage with Deborah, who is once again saved from a life of having sex with other men against her will. So Martin, what did you think of our opening Blazer versus Val Venus match and the rest of this overbooked segment? It, uh, the match itself was pretty darn good. It's brief, but you know this is the Attitude Era where the emphasis was more on character than the stuff that happened in the ring, particularly on TV. Yeah, it was fine. The afters did. Yeah, it was. It felt like too many storylines clashing all at once again. Admittedly, it is cool that everybody on the show had some kind of segment. So it was one step above throwaway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I don't get why the Godfather stuff couldn't have happened. You know, like sort of backstage, but. For what it is, as an opener, as a you know, as a, as a sampler, as a, as an entree, um, it pretty much set the thing. It's like this is this is the WWF now. Right. You will get you will get these big characters. You will get some wrestling, and then you will get a lot of like shenanigans, which 
it, you know, it kind of primes the viewer as for you know what to expect. Yeah, and I think this was another case of them trying to get in more people to to introduce that new audience yeah. to be like, here's Nicole Bass, and here's The Godfather, and you know, kind of like tying everything together there, which yeah. is why you end up getting like fifteen people in one friggin' segment. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they 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 have a they have a goal to reach, and I think this is this is the best way they could do it. You've got two hours to get as much stuff on screen to see and see what jives with the people. So, yeah, fair enough. It's going to get overbooked. It's going to get a bit clustery, but I'd rather take this than than like a third like a third hour and it oh, yeah. and everything just kind of collapse on top of itself. So, this was this was fine. Not not particularly brilliant, but not offensively bad. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose the part about turning Owen back into the Blue Blazer is retroactively offensive for a different reason, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, apart from, yeah, the, the massive misogyny stuff, which is which is offensive. Uh, yes, true. In terms, yes, of, true. in terms of the quality of the characters and the the wrestling on display, I I can't really find much of a, much of a fault with it. And yeah, in, in retrospect, knowing what we know, anything... Any time Owen and the Blue Blazer sort of collide, I get retroactively get incredibly angry <laughs> with yeah. with wrestling. So, and I, I can't really hold that against the show that I'm watching because they didn't know what was going to happen several months down the line. Right. So, on, taken on its own merits, it is kind of funny. You yeah, know, it's like who is that masked man? Yeah, well, that actually ties in perfectly to the next segment because right after the match, we go backstage where Kevin Kelly is with the Blue Blazer, and you know what? Let's take a listen to what the Blue Blazer has to say. Well, Blue Blazer, it's been a while since we've seen you here in the WWF. Uh, to what do we owe the honor? Well, Kevin, it's quite simple. The Blue Blazer is back in the WWF because the WWF needs the Blue Blazer back. Needed for what, Owen? Owen, I'm not on. Where is Owen? I'm looking for Owen Hart, too. Where is he? Anyway, the conditions here in the WWF have become deplorable. There's, there's too much cleavage and that, that, that valve. I can't even say his last name, but you know what it rhymes with. I can't even say it, but he's deplorable. Everything is deplorable here in the WWF. But why you? Why me? Because the WWF needs a superhero like the Blue Blazer. One that can protect good from evil. And one last thing in closing to all my little blue blazers. Take your vitamins, say your prayers, and drink your milk. So, Martin, just like you, I'm going to try to go ahead and look on the bright side here. So, for starters, I love how the Blue Blazers dialogue basically sounds like something an angry suburban mom would say about the WWF's product back in 99. There's, there's too much cleavage. He was the right to censor before the right to censor. Yeah, oh, that good point. <laughs> I think he also says, like, uh, he says something like, that That Val, I, I can't even say his last name, but you know what it rhymes with. Yeah. It's, it's a very, very neat sort of parody of the kind of stuff that no doubt the WWF will, will have been inundated with at this time. Yeah, and also, I mean, it's a clear, it's a clear parody at the very end there of the the Hulk Hogan demandments because he's saying he's literally yes. saying like, take your vitamins, say your prayers, drink your milk. So I I wonder like, should I give them enough credit to say that this is like a meta commentary on how like the superhero wrestler is no longer 
you know, relevant. I, I don't know. Maybe they – or realistically, it was probably just like Vince Russo being like, say this because it's funny, but maybe, yeah. I'm, maybe I'm giving them more credit than they deserve. I mean, regardless of the, the sort of authorial intent behind it, if we can take away that, yeah, perhaps they were taking shots at the idea of the, of the good guy – of the superhero good guy. Yeah, because it, it may even weirdly – I mean, if you want to read far too much into it, it may have been a shot at Brett, who was mm. frequently referred to himself as like the sheriff of wrestling. Interesting. Against against all these outlaws, kind of thing. So it, it may have been like a, a shot at that, just sort of wrapped up in this whole. Well, let's just take a shot at Hogan. And again, with perhaps thinking, well, if the la- the last people who watched us the last time we were on UPN will have been that late nineteen ninety two period. I mean, admittedly, Hogan wasn't there. At the, the at the airing of the last show, but he was still the guy. He was still he was still wrestling, you know. Like mm-hmm. when when you you said to someone, you know, name me a wrestler, eight nine times out of ten they'd say Hulk Hogan. Oh yeah. So perhaps a you know it was a, a a little a little primer on the audience. You know, this ain't your daddy's wrestling kind of thing. Yeah. Or this ain't your you know this ain't your your kids wrestling anymore. Yeah, makes that definitely makes sense. It it may have been. I mean, without actually. You know, grasping these people and saying, "What were you thinking twenty years ago when you wrote this?" And they were probably thinking nothing. We just needed to make two hours of TV, <laughs> right? But it it may have been. But and yeah, like I said, outside of the stuff you know that we know happens with the Blue Blazer, that particular promo, kind of funny, really, really funny stuff. And yeah, it it, yeah. it shows what a good talker Owen always was. Yeah, absolutely anybody else would have died in that costume utterly <laughs> utterly just completely fallen by the wayside and just uh, very few people would have given it as much as he gave it he he gave it both barrels definitely and there was just one other note i had from this promo that uh you couldn't tell if you were just listening to it there that uh as owen is giving it uh farouk basically just walks by right in the background which he also did during the al snow hardcore holly match at backlash so i'm thinking like this should become a recurring thing for farouk just like wandering through promos but sadly i don't think it becomes one but i mean it was twice in the past two shows so come on come on man See, wrestling shows would be much better if it was like Hitchcock movies where you're looking for the cannon. Ah, yeah, there you go, exactly. You're looking for the Farouk. Farouk walks by walking a little dog, yeah. Yes, yeah, walks out of a pet shop. Right. So from there, we go back inside the arena for our next match, the Big Show versus former corporation member Test. And pretty much as soon as the match begins, the big boss man emerges from backstage twirling his nightstick. However, Big Show and Test continue their match, and holy shit, Martin, Big Show must have really wanted to make an impact on this show, because he hits Test with a fucking dropkick. The Big Show taking to the sky to hit a dropkick, and I thought it actually looked pretty damn good, too. Yep. The dude was crazy talented in his Absolutely. in his, in the first sort of few years of his career. The, the guy could really move. Yeah, I remember there were always that, those stories about how he could do the moonsault, but they were always like, no, don't do that, because you're probably going to kill somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, he could do the, you know, do a standing drop kick, which, you know, it, it doesn't sound that impressive, because it's like, oh, a drop kick is like the most basic move, but you've still got to jump, and you've still got to, <laughs> and you're like 500 pounds of, of, of guy. Yeah, he gets he gets some air. Yeah, he does. Well, he he gets Tess, who 
was 610, I believe, something right. like that. Yep. He gets test in, like, certainly the chin, so he he jumps more than I could. Yeah, me too, I think, at this point. Yeah, no, that's, that, ooh, yeah, yeah, that was, that was deeply, deeply impressive. Definitely. And the match doesn't go very much longer after that because he immediately signals for the choke slam, and yes, he does indeed hit it. So show goes for the cover, referee Tim White makes the count, and yes, your winner is indeed the big show in just 50 seconds. So Test leaves the corporation, meaning you would think that he might be in line for a push, but no, Big Show squashes him in less than a minute. Okay then. But after the match ends, the Big Boss Man rolls into the ring with his nightstick, and he briefly stares down the Big Show, but Paul White, however, chases Boss Man out of the ring, and then Big Show just starts walking up the ramp. However, once he does that, Boss Man takes that opportunity to roll back into the ring and start beating on Test. So Bossman then starts choking Test with his nightstick until the Big Show returns to the ring to chase Bossman away. So even though he just squashed Test, Paul White came to his rescue because, much like Stone Cold during the Black Wedding, it was simply the right thing to do. So Martin, what do you think of this very brief Big Show versus Test match? I I really liked it. Yes, it was only 50 seconds, but it was a damn good 50 seconds. It was a good showcase. Yeah, two big old slabs of beef because <laughs> uh, in recent years I've, I've gained a, a lot of appreciation for Test uh, watching his um, inva- you know, stuff during the invasion like 2001 so it's like yeah no, that, that guy was actually good and it's like in, if he was around today he'd probably be a, a multi-time champion yeah, I think that was, if I remember correctly when they eventually do like the um, the invasion angle, I think Part of the, the like the thing they were doing where they were initially going to reboot WCW, Shane McMahon was like a huge fan of Test and wanted to make him yeah. WCW champion. So, yeah, somebody somebody saw quite a lot in him, I guess. But uh, clearly, it wasn't Vince. Yeah, that was the problem. It was it, people saw you know a lot in him right up until the point that they didn't. But in terms of this, uh, it is disappointing that you know Test is the one with the the big big storyline or big you know out of the two. And he's the one who ends up losing. I think that's a side effect of trying to get absolutely everybody onto this card and trying to get all these myriad story threads across. But yeah, it was fine. I don't think Tess loses much because it's like, well, yeah, you lost to like this monster, this giant of a man that we've had tear through rings, destroy cages, pull down the Titan Tron. You know, it's it's anybody look you know it looks all right when you lose to a guy like that because it's like, well, how are you supposed to win? Yeah, well, um, they'll they'll make up for it by putting Test in the greatest stable of all time on the following episode of Raw. So, so there you go. Exactly. Again, big fan of all the characters involved. I like Bossman. I like this version of Bossman. You know, it's like Arch Henchman Bossman. Yeah. He's like he's like an a, like a, an action figure from of a character from the from a Saturday morning cartoon. You know, just like generic military guy. He's like he could he could work for Cobra in GI Bill, <laughs> that kind of thing. And he's just so delightfully evil. Yeah. Oh, well, just wait till he gets to his actual feud with the Big Show in the fall. Then, then you see oh, how yes. evil he becomes. Yeah. Exactly. So, and he's he's almost like a perfect foil for a guy like Tess because it's like, well, nobody's going to end up cheering Bossman unless you're like in the, you know smart like me. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, in, in terms of the desired reaction, it's like, well, how how can he possibly be the hero in in a in a company that's all about shades of grey? Guys like Bossman are like, no, 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 no. Out of all of that, no, he, he's, he's a battered guy. Yeah. Which, which I also proves Nails right. 
<laughs> yes. In their feud from 1992, Nail said that Bossman used to brutalise prisoners when he was a prison guard. And that is the beginning and end of his current character. I'm surprised they never actually like referenced that later on to be like, Nails was right. Yeah, but would you reference Nails? Yeah, probably, probably Vince McMahon wasn't too keen to reference Nails after that whole situation. No, no, but I I enjoyed this. Again, for, for what it was as a segment to say, look, you know, because again, fair play to Cornette. He did a wonderful job putting, you know, just Big Show over. Yes, he used the trucks. Oh, it's like, oh, he wears a size, I think it's 18 wrestling boot or whatever. You know, all the same stuff that Jim Ross would trot out. But somehow Cornette made it work and he, he tried to get over just how impressive a big man, you know, he was. And as it... As an introduction, if I was a relatively new fan, I'd know who all these guys were, I would know Teston Bossman's beef, and I would be impressed by this giant of a man just that could leap like a like a salmon from the from the sea. Yeah. Again, really, really good. Really fun. Just fun, I think is the best way I can describe that. Yeah. Very I would agree. I would agree. Good stuff. And again, yeah, I, I really think this is just a case of, of Big Show being like, I want to make an impact on network TV. I'm taken to the sky. Because this is not something that was in his arsenal previously, or that we've seen yeah. on, on TV, on Raw, or on any of the pay-per-views so far. So, It's the kind of thing he, it's the kind of thing he would bust out when he was the giant back in WCW. Mm, yeah. I saw him do a lot of drop kicks when I was watching sort of Nitro kind of week to week and bits of Saturday night. But yeah, it's it's fun when you you think, wow, no, that, that the guy was incredibly good. There just kind of came a point when he realised that, hey, I'm big, and that's really all you need to do. You know, he he started to wrestle like a giant. Right, right. And that may have been some of the problems with him, but I've always found Big Show really entertaining for some reason. Yeah, oh yeah. He'll have some good moments coming up in... Uh specifically about a year from now when he uh, gets that little run on SNL and then he goes Hollywood. I was I was always a fan of that. Even yes, though it, it was so. it was silly, but he did a really good job with it. He he again, it's it's silly, but are you going to tell that to his face? <laughs> I I'm not going to. Yeah. I exactly. I'd have to I'd have to stand on like a ladder to tell it to his face. Exactly. I would need two ladders. And so yes, after that match concludes the Rock emerges from backstage to a huge pop from the fans. So yes, Martin, we have officially entered the babyface Rock era. And let's just say, I think that works out pretty well for him. And you know what, Martin? I'm just going to go ahead and play the next segment right here because let's just see that it goes in a rather unexpected direction. Shane McMahon, Triple H... Last Monday on Raw, you two jabronis decided to check both your candy asses in to the SmackDown Hotel. So you go on and let the great one be the first one to break the bad news to you two, Rudy! Like The Rock was saying, let him be the first one to break the bad news to you two, Rudy Pooh Candy Asses. That you damn sure checked in, you two will damn sure check out. But you don't check out without a little departing gift from The Rock, which is his fist in your mouth and his foot in your ass. Well, that's different than a mint on your pillow. 
Now, as far as for you, Stone Cold Steve Austin, you and The Rock tonight, tag team, make no mistake about it. You damn right we'll fight the fight. But we ain't partners, we ain't buddies, and we damn sure ain't friends. So if you so much tonight get in The Rock's way, this Brahma bull will dip his head, take his horns, and stick them straight up your ass. come out here and get this straight right off the bat. Last week and tonight, you come out here talking all your trash about Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'll tell you this, you will always be, in my eyes, some punk kid running around out here spitting out nursery rhymes. <laughs> Saying what you're going to do, turn your little horn sideways because you're the Brahma Bull. Eh, eh. Stone Cold Steve Austin will knock him stupid horns right off your head, wipe your ass, put you on a barbecue grill, and that's all I got to say about that. Forces? 
Yes, as you heard there, The Rock talked some trash about Stone Cold, which of course resulted in Steve Austin coming down to the ring. And amusingly, when Austin does his routine where he poses on each turnbuckle for the fans, when he walked from corner to corner, he proceeded to flip Rock off each time. So Austin says he's going to take the Brahma Bull and, quote, wipe his ass, then put him on the barbecue grill, which is rather confusing. Martin, I think what Stone Cold was going for there was to say he was going to wipe him down with barbecue sauce and then put him on the grill, because that would certainly make more sense than Stone Cold wiping the rock's ass, but that's just me spitballing there. There is a a, a phrase, I don't know how prevalent it is in the US, but when it pertains to barbecue, you know, about how, you know, how fresh is the meat, and it's like a case of, well, cut off its hooves, wipe its ass and throw it on the grill. So it might have been that he was referencing. Oh, interesting. It's something I've heard a lot here in England. Maybe because of his Stone Cold's English ex-wife. Hmm. I I don't want to, you know, put too much into that theory, but yeah, there is this thing of, yeah, cut its hooves, wipe its bum and throw it on on the grill. You know, the idea of it's, you know, this meat is that fresh. Well, as we say here in the States, I could stick my head up the bull's ass, but I'd rather take the butcher's word. No, sorry, that's Tommy Boy. That's the movie Tommy Boy. Sorry, my mistake. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, so Austin and Rock soon get interrupted by Shane McMahon, and then shortly thereafter, surprisingly, The Undertaker then emerges from backstage and stands atop the ramp side by side with Shane. And as you heard in that clip, Shane then tells us that he has orchestrated a merger with The Undertaker, combining the corporation with the Ministry of Darkness to form the corporate ministry. And when he says that, sure enough, every member of the corporation and the ministry then comes out from backstage and also stands at the top of the ramp. So yes, we now have what I believe is the largest faction in the history of the WWF up to this point. But for me, my first thought was, the big boss man is now okay with siding with the guy who hung him from the Hell in a Cell cage a few weeks ago. He may be the most forgiving person on the planet. But personally though, Martin, I just can't buy this merger. I mean, you're trying to tell me that corporations could somehow be evil? I mean, that's just that's just a bridge too far for me. I can't buy that. It, it is, isn't it? It's it's so hard to imagine that a, that a corporate entity could be that callous and heartless. Yeah, that, that's just not realistic. And uh, also, by the way, I love the notion of the corporate ministry. So, like, I'm just thinking now, like, Viscera is going to board meetings and attending PowerPoint presentations, you know, like that sort of thing. Like, so I, I would, I would honestly love there to be a backstage segment of the Undertaker filling out like a 401k. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> worrying about payroll. You're right. Or doing a presentation being like, now, as you can see, when I hang people from the symbol, employee morale just goes up dramatically. So we should have more of those. But yes, so anyway, this was this was the initial formation of the corporate ministry. So what did you think, Martin? Were you a fan of, of joining these two groups together? 
yes and no. Yes, in that it d- didn't seem to make much sense to have two villain factions running around, especially feuding. True. Um, I, I kind of got what they were going for, and I kind of like the idea of the of you know like Austin and Rock being like the two sort of heroes in between this the, this war. But the problem is that out, when it wasn't Rock and Austin in the middle of it, who cares? I mean, is anybody going to care for you know Midian versus uh, you know Pete Gas? <laughs> no offense to either man, but you know that kind of thing. So it, I think it makes sense. I think the it's certainly shocking. And yeah, it doesn't make a, a a huge amount of sense. But they've wisely done it in the right way. This is it's Shane who's done it, not Vince. Right. For for now, at least, Vince doesn't seem to be involved in this. So it just makes Shane look that but much more ruthless, sort of callous. The fact that he doesn't care that Taker has been doing all of that stuff to his family. He just wants power. And so I kind of get. I kind of get it. It's hard for me to be objective because this is my favourite version of The Undertaker. Just yeah. full-on Buffy the Vampire Slayer villain. Oh, yeah. it's I, I love the look, I love the music, so it's just, a, you know, it's like, oh, he's on screen. I don't care. Just, he, 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 you know, they could be you know, on, a, on a bouncy house. Kind of, yeah. know, it, could, it doesn't need to make any kind of sense. Just, you know, inject it into my eyes kind of thing. So it's hard for me to be objective. I do like the idea of the corporate ministry. It's just just the right side of dumb that I like. <laughs> I think actually when you looked at that opening promo when you know the corporation came to the ring, it made more sense. I, I kind of understand what they were going for because when you look at what the corporation has left with, Rock yeah. has Rock has left, Shamrock has left, Test has left. So literally, like the top guy in the corporation now is Triple H, and the second guy is like the boss man. You know, and like, and after that, you have the Mean Street Posse. So the corporation is kind of like a shell of what it used to be. So I could see yes. them. I could see that being the reason for the merger, because now they can be like, you know, instead of this really weak ass corporation they have left, now it's a stronger entity with Undertaker and Triple H. So yeah, I, I, that, I can kind of understand that. That's perhaps the one thing that was missing. If if someone like Cornette would have just kind of done a throwaway line of, well, you saw how depleted the corporation was, you know, that kind of thing, it would have just, just made just that little more sense. Right. But I this is coming as someone who who loves like sort of narrative and that kind of thing. This is this is a what I would do if I were writing it kind of thing. But just on the sheer weird, you know, balls out craziness of it. Again, this is the kind of thing it's like, well, you know, this is this is the WWF now. You're going to get lots of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I will say, like, the actual narrative that they've been doing over the past couple of weeks, like, again, the Black Wedding, I think, was brilliant. That sort of confluence of all yeah. the feuds together. And, like, for a brief time there where Shamrock, you know, when Vince is ousted from the corporation and Shamrock stays loyal to Vince and then Shamrock is an enemy of both the corporation, like, they... they they did a really good job with a lot of these feuds over the past few weeks to have it make sense for Shamrock to leave the corporation and make sense for Tess to leave the corporation because he was getting, you know, basically shit on by all the other guys in the corporation. Yes. So it does make sense. And then obviously, like I was saying before, uh, what happens on the next episode where we get another faction formed with some ex-corporation guys, it does make sense. You know, the, the execution from there is a little bit more lackluster, shall we say. But the yeah. booking, the actual booking has been very, very strong over the past couple weeks basically since wrestlemania the booking has been very very strong so so props again props to vince russo and i'm not just saying that because he follows me on twitter yeah no there's there's little bits and pieces of some very very good stuff it's just that when you take it as a whole 
sometimes these those little moments of greatness can get swallowed up in like the overall thing like you know like the likes of again spoiler talking about something that hasn't happened in the timeline yet the invasion there's a lot of good little bits and pieces of the invasion just it's all in service of this thing that never quite hits the way anybody wants it to but yeah. it's, it's it gave us Chris Jericho world heavyweight champion kind of thing that's right it gave us, right. It gave us test it gave us you know that kind of thing even you know like you know Mike Awesome hardcore champion kind of thing yeah lot of bits lots of bits and pieces of really good stuff yeah well my timeline officially is going to end at Wrestlemania X7 so you can spoil the invasion all you want that's post oh, that's, that's post this timeline that's cool so yes so after commercial break we go backstage where your WWF tag team champions Kane and X-Pac are with Kevin Kelly now as a reminder this past Monday on Raw the Brood gave a bloodbath to Kane and when X-Pac tried to console him, Kane angrily chokeslammed X-Pac over the barricade and into the front row. And then later on that night, X-Pac confronted Kane and shoved him, so Kane chokeslammed him once again. However, after he did that, it appeared as though Kane felt remorse for his actions, so he picked up X-Pac and carried him off to the locker room. So with that in mind, Kevin Kelly asks X-Pac if he has conflicting loyalties tonight, since he and Kane will be facing the New Age Outlaws, X-Pac's fellow DX stablemates. And basically, Pac just says that it will be unpredictable out there, so I guess we'll have to see what happens. Alrighty then. And from there, we head back into the arena for our next match, D'Lo Brown, accompanied by Ivory, versus Darren Drozdov, accompanied by Prince Albert, who is holding his tattoo and piercing kit and wearing a WWF hotel and casino t-shirt for some reason. And also, Martin, yet again, I was just tempted to type the word fuck with about 26 U's because the match is D'Lo versus Draws. And, well, let's just say these guys have another match about five months from now that's doesn't go very well but anyway it's impossible to separate the the match from the from the the history of it isn't it yeah unfortunately it's kind of uh it's kind of just not funny but it's kind of tragic that i'm like booting up the the opening episode of smackdown and i'm like okay there's the blue blazer oh and now it's d'lo versus draws so i'm just being reminded of tragedy left and right on this friggin' show yeah all, all we needed was somehow there to be a mention of Chris Benoit, and <laughs> I've got the triple threat of stuff that just makes me go, oh, yeah. <laughs> in wrestling. Good call, good call. And on that note, so early on in the match, Draws goes to the second rope and starts taunting the fans by doing D'Lo's signature head-shaking mannerisms, so D'Lo takes that opportunity to sneak up on Draws and powerbomb him. Thankfully, this one goes just fine, but, you know, later on, different story. But actually, Martin, this brings me to a quick point. So why does D'Lo even do a running powerbomb in the first place? He already has the sky-high powerbomb, which is much safer and looks awesome. So why does he bother introducing another powerbomb into the mix? I don't get it. Yeah, you can have too much of a good thing. Right. Um, and, right. It, and yes, as much as, the, you know, like the, the running Liger bomb almost that he does in this is is cool. Yeah, it it looks more impressive than his actual finisher, which is kind of a problem. Yeah, but yes. So at one point, Draws collides with Prince Albert on the ring apron. So Draws goes out of the ring to check on him. At which point, D'Lo impressively catapults himself over the top rope and takes out both men. And back in the ring, D'Lo then climbs to the top rope and prepares to hit Draws with his low down frog splash. But Prince Albert just says, fuck it, 
He enters the ring, he snatches D'Lo off the top turnbuckle, and nails him with his finisher, which is basically a sit-out press slam. So because of that, your winner of the match, via disqualification, is D'Lo Brown. But then, after the match concludes, Draws grabs D'Lo's arms and holds them behind his back, and Prince Albert then opens his briefcase to reveal a piercing needle. So yes, just like he attempted to do to Brian Christopher on Sunday Night Heat, it appears as though Albert is seeking to provide D'Lo with an unwanted piercing. However, while that was going on, Ivory had sprinted to the backstage area, and she quickly returned with Mark Henry, who surprisingly got a really nice-sized pop from the crowd. And for some... Yeah. Uh, For some reason, he was dressed in a full-on suit and tie, but that didn't stop Sexual Chocolate from proceeding to take out Draws and Albert before sharing a hug with D'Lo, which also got a nice pop. And Martin, in case you're wondering, this is the first time we've seen Mark Henry since St. Valentine's Day Massacre when Owen Hart smacked him in the knee with one of Jeff Jarrett's guitars, which I think was designed to write him off TV so he could have surgery for some, for some type of injury, but I actually couldn't find anything to confirm that. But regardless, this was his first time on television in about two and a half months. So what did you think of this match here, Martin? Yeah, aside from, what, again, what we know about draws and D-Lo matches, <laughs> this was fine. Because <laughs> I, I, I think the company was high on D-Lo, especially as a partner for Mark Henry, but also just on his own merits. And yeah, that the the plancher that Delo does to the outside, because again he's not a not a small guy. He's, he's not the uh, he's not exactly a cruiserweight. No. So for him to to do that and successfully, huge huge props to him and Droz and Albert for not hurting him on the way down. Yeah, I I, I really thought yeah this there's something to this, and I did. I, I, again, love Big Mark Henry. Love his his olive green suit that he's wearing. It's n- yeah. it's not quite the salmon jacket from his uh, his quote unquote retirement speech. But nothing is. Yes, exactly. But yeah, that man is oh just sartorial elegance. Yeah. Um, and it was nice to see the crowd get into it. You know, like the the hug and everything at the end. No sense of irony. No sarcasm. It's just. Yeah, these guys are friends, and this guy helped his friend out. So, yeah, that's, I can't find much to fault, other than, yeah, bullshit DQ for reasons, I guess. Right. Need to keep, need to keep draws looking strong? <laughs> Question mark? Yeah, well, Prince Albert just debuted, I think, about two weeks prior to this, so I think they're trying to oh, keep... So he... very, yeah, they're trying to keep them both pretty strong, I guess. He's... So he's very new then. Very new, yes. He was on, uh, I think it was an episode of Sunday Night Heat. He just kind of like ran out from the crowd. So, you know, w- one of those classic debuts where a guy just runs out from the crowd and now he's an active wrestler, so. Yeah, uh, like the, like Santino Morello, bless him. Yes, or Steve Blackman, I think. They did the same thing with yes. him. Yep, Steve Blackman was a was guy in the crowd. It's amazing how how often that happens. Yeah. Or, uh, wait, what about, uh, what about Tori as the Sable Stalker and then she's, you know, wrestling her at WrestleMania? Yeah, exactly. Commit a felony, get a contract. That's, yeah, exactly. Wow, that seems like a great idea. So all you fans out there who want to get contracts with the WWE, now you know <laughs> what to do. For for legal reasons, don't do that. Yeah, right, we've exactly. All seen, right, exactly. We've all seen the footage of that guy getting beaten up by that Samoan wrestler. I forget the guy's name, you know, the wrestler, but he... he prob- I think he spears the guy <laughs> who, who tries to rush the ring. Oh, I haven't uh, actually seen this. 
that it, it, it's doing the rounds on Twitter a lot. It's uh, from from a like a, an indie show. I wish I think I think the guy's Twitter handle is something like Samoan Werewolf. Good but name. Good his, name. It's a fucking good name. But I forget his you know I forget his actual name and I do apologise. But it is quite funny to watch this you know, this this sort of big guy thinking he's he, you know he's he's the big I am tries to get involved in a match and just ends up getting the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> Which we've actually seen many times over the years in other capacities as well. Yes, it's. I, I know it's it's rotten to gloat, but it is kind of funny. Oh yeah, particularly like, when I imagine some of these guys going well, they're just quote unquote fake wrestlers, and then to find out, oh yeah, these guys are actually like super tough. Yeah, my favorite is the guy like when uh, Hulk Hogan does the heel turn at Bash at the Beach, like the guy who tries to run into the ring and the and the outsiders just kick the shit out of him and it you know lasts yes. like two seconds i think like retroactively though like what if that guy had come in and he was like a really good fighter and he just knocked out all three of them like with the nwo angle have just been dead thanks to that fan i think i think so i think so too how how, how history would have changed <laughs> yeah a big what if ringside security in wcw was incredibly lax uh, i remember a woman managed to, managing to get into the ring during a randy savage match or the one where uh, the guy jumps the barricade and pulls Raven out by his hair to the ground. Yeah. That's brutal. So yeah, WCW, AEW, I know AEW is taking inspiration from WCW. Don't take inspiration from them on that. Hire some good security guys. Uh, although yes. actually, wait, I'm going to be at the AEW show on October 9th. So you heard it here first, folks. I am going to jump the ra- No, No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. So- You'd end up doing it with like, they like, the suddenly debut like, you know, like someone like, Scott Steiner, like someone completely unhinged. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, 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 no. this way, sir. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> and so after a commercial break, we go backstage where Kevin Kelly is now with the New Age Outlaws. But before we get there, Martin, during that previous D'Lo draws match, you heard Michael Cole talk about how we would catch up with Sable after the match. And yes, indeed, there was a segment with Sable on the original broadcast, but it gets edited out from the WWE Network. But yes, I went ahead and found it online. And don't worry, you're not missing anything. It's basically just Sable making a bunch of different media appearances like the Howard Stern Show, Live with Regis and Kathy Lee, Happy Hour, etc. But uh, spoiler alert, the WWF putting over how much Sable is conquering Hollywood will quickly be coming to a close, but we'll get there soon enough in the coming weeks. But anyway, back to Kevin Kelly with the New Age Outlaws. So Rogue Dog begins by doing some goofy rhyming, and then he says that their match against X-Pac and Kane will be difficult because X-Pac is a close friend of his. And at that point, Billy Gunn interrupts and says, quote, Whoa, 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 friends? There's no friends when it comes to these titles, man. Get your head on, would you? And Billy then exits the frame. And this is seemingly continuing a theme that we saw this past Monday on Raw, where Billy Gunn said that he was going to beat Triple H, unlike X-Pac, who was unable to do so the night before at Backlash. So yes, it certainly appears as though Billy Gunn is, dare I say, expressing a more heelish attitude these days. And that fittingly segues us back into the arena for our next match, and it is indeed our WWF Tag Team title match, Champions X-Pac and Kane versus Challengers The New Age Outlaws. And interestingly, when the Outlaws are making their entrance, instead of standing next to Road Dog when he poses for the crowd at the top of the stage, Billy just keeps on walking right down to the ring. And then, once Road Dog does his ladies and gentlemen routine, he goes to hand the mic off to Billy so he can do his customary, and if you're not down with that, we got two words for you. But instead, Mr. Ass declines to do it, so Road Dog just puts the mic down on the mat. 
quite a bit of dissension between the Outlaws here, it seems, but they'll have to put that behind them in this match if they want to recapture the gold. So early on in the match, Road Dog and Xbox started off in the ring together, and after keeping pace with each other, we got an amusing moment where each guy crotch chopped toward the other one pretty much simultaneously. Nice bit of synchronicity there. Reminded me of the two doinks at WrestleMania 9. Just, just much more vulgar. <laughs> right, exactly. But then after that spot, Billy Gunn hit Road Dog's shoulder and tagged himself in, and he then proceeded to go nose-to-nose with X-Pac before shoving him across the ring. And then, in response, Kane grabbed X-Pac by the hair and dragged him to the corner, and he then tagged himself in. And shortly after that, Kane whipped Mr. Ass into one of the corners, where Billy attempted to do the upside-down flare flip, and he just failed miserably. It looked like he was doing it in slow motion, but instead of going over the rope, he just kind of fell right back into the ring, to which I say, best pure athlete, my ass. Uh, no, no, no pun intended, no pun intended. So moving a bit forward, Kane grabbed Road Dog by the throat for a choke slam, and Billy Gunn ran toward him to break it up, but Kane booted Mr. Ass in the face, and then X-Pac came in the ring to provide some backup, but Kane grabbed him by the throat too. So once again, Kane either doesn't seem to know or doesn't seem to care when he hurts his own partner. Thankfully though, Kane releases both men without choke slamming them because Billy booted him in the stomach. And a little while later, Kane then grabs Billy by the throat, but Road Dog breaks that up by nailing Kane with a low blow right in front of referee Mike Kyoto, who somehow does not call for the DQ. So Billy then nails the fame asser on Kane but X-Pac breaks up the pinfall. So it starts breaking down into a bit of a schmoz at this point, with Kane working over Road Dog and Billy Gunn aggressively taking it to X-Pac. So Billy then manages to pick up X-Pac into press slam position, but while that's going on, Kane punches Road Dog in the face, which causes the D-O-double-G to fall down right into Billy Gunn's knee. So Mr. Ass then drops X-Pac, who lands right on top of him in perfect pinning position for the one the two, and the three. Your winners of the match, and still WWF Tag Team Champions, X-Pac and Kane. So we go to a commercial break after the match concludes, but when we come back from break, Road Dog is in the parking lot trying to comfort Billy Gunn, and he tells him that there will be other matches, but Billy shoves him and says, quote, No, there won't. I can guarantee there's not going to be another one with you. I can assure you of that. So Martin, not only did the Outlaws lose the match, but if Billy Gunn is to be believed, this may be the end of their tag team entirely. So what did you think of our tag team title match and these subsequent Outlaws shenanigans? Again, four big characters, sadly saddled with the Vince Russo special of tag teams who don't like each other. Of course. Um, This is one of the things he gets, perhaps rightly gets a bit of stick for, for going to the well on this too many times, but... To balance that out, this is one of the times when it's done really well, because there is subtlety in it. It's not just a case of, all oh, these guys don't like each other. You've got a frustrated Billy Gunn, who you know, seemingly wants you know, gold at any at any cost, and to hell with to hell with friendships and the consequences. Perhaps based on the fact that Triple H left the group, you know, betrayed them. He's thinking, well, if he can, why can't I? You know, that kind of thing. You can read into that. You've got Kane as this barely contained monster that I can't, that I really like. Again, you, you, A, he's a huge dude, so you buy it, but it's all done really well. It, there's been a consistency to Kane's character that you can you can buy into. So those those sort of components going in, I really liked. The 
only sort of thing I perhaps didn't like was that weird double crotch chop thing. It's, it's like they're showing respect, and then there's that whatever the hell that was. Right. But beyond that, this was this was okay. This was again as an introduction to these these four big things, uh, but with a hook that carries on from earlier shows. So you're not completely alienating your regular thing. It doesn't feel like a like an episode out of time. It doesn't feel like a almost like a non-canon episode like you sometimes get. You know, like when they used to do old school Raws that really, really did feel as though we're putting everything on hold and just doing this fun, wacky show. It was. They actually gave him about seven minutes, I think, in this match too. So it was a good amount of time for Which, you know, for a tag yeah. team match. In the Attitude Era is like you know an an ice age. Right. <laughs> it's an eternity. Yeah, everything needs to be quick, dirty, character stuff. But yeah, it was a, it was a fun match and perhaps perhaps my favorite match on the show. Yeah, that's fair. I think yeah, I think so. As much as I don't like the New Age Outlaws. There's just something about the the whole shtick I don't like. I think it's I think if if Road Dog was like ten percent of a better performer, I think I'd like it more. There's just something about Road Dog that that just rubs me up the wrong way. It's probably his dreadlocks. That's probably what it is. I I, I, I think so. I think so. I think I'm just jealous the fact that I couldn't do, I can't do that. Yeah. I can't I can't do dreads. So yeah. I, I aside from that, this was another solid fun segment of 1999 wrestling television. I agree. I agree. Good match. It's it's definitely a good match and surprisingly so because like you said they these guys do not get a lot of time to to ply their trade typically in the attitude era. So it was a it was a very nice surprise. It's the longest match on the card, which is also particularly surprising when you see what the main event is. So yeah, the, somehow they decided, you know, give this one seven, give the main event five, but we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, good good stuff. And again, furthering the sort of, you know, tension that's going on between the Outlaws and, and I guess between DX as well, as we'll find out a little bit later, because uh, Billy Gunn's reign of terror is not done for the night, but we'll, we'll touch on that. It really isn't. But uh, yeah, uh, again, simple. I kept, kept up. I instantly knew what was going on and could follow it and credit that to Billy Gunn, who completely changed his act for that night. Absolutely. So you knew something was wrong by the fact that he wasn't behaving like Billy Gunn, or Mr. Ass, should I say. Yes. So we then go back into the arena where, of all people, Doc Hendricks is standing in the ring, and for the love of God, his outfit is absolutely atrocious. So basically, picture a yellow shirt, yellow pants, and yellow shoes, and you've got the idea. Now, Martin... Here in the States, we have a popular magazine called The New Yorker, and they do a lot of, like, one-panel cartoons. And a recurring joke is that for every one of those cartoons, you can just put the caption, Christ, what an asshole, and it'll make make sense no matter what's pictured. And that very phrase is pretty much how I feel every time Doc Hendricks comes on my screen. Just, Christ, what an asshole. If, if this was Shotgun Saturday Night, how they used to have those funny... Well, I say funny, but they used to have captions underneath the nameplate when a wrestler appeared. That could be Hendrix's, like, every single week. Yes, exactly. So, yes, Doc introduces us to The Brood, and thankfully, yes, we do get the awesome Ring of Fire entrance. I mean, it's the first episode of SmackDown on network TV. You gotta put your best foot forward. So, yes, Gangrel, Edge, and Christian then do indeed head to the ring for what is their very first interview. Yes, that's right. 
Edge debuted in June of 98, followed by Gangrel in August, and Christian in September, but none of them have cut a promo yet. And, well, there's probably a reason for that, because what follows is a notoriously cringeworthy segment, so I'll just let you listen to it for yourselves. Knock interest to the interview. The fans have waited for what seems like an eternity for the brood to finally break their silence. Center stage is yours. The brood initially has not spoken by our own choice. And then later, it was forbidden <laughs> by the Undertaker. Well, when the brood entered this world, we craved a guidance. That guiding light to show us the way. And that was the Undertaker. Well, unfortunately, the Undertaker's thoughts and feelings were not the same as ours. <laughs> but in the darkness, we seek a much different light. We live our collective lifestyles for who we are and what we believe in. In the search of the mystery of life and the hereafter. And the power is what we seek. And it's within all of us. And we just have to unleash it. <laughs> well, with all due respect, some say, some say they don't understand your lifestyle and others Others, quite frankly, think the brood are basically off the charts. They will understand. Understanding is just a matter of time. The power lies within us, and it's up to us to find it. We are who we are, the unholy trio. And we will become what we will become. For those who believe, we'll follow. For those that don't, we'll merely exist. So, Doc, I suggest that you beware. Take care, because the freaks come out at night. <laughs> look, look, look. I don't know uh, what y'all are smoking, but if you ask me, seriously, it's nothing but a gimmick. You're just trying to get attention on yourselves. A gimmick, Doc? Is that what you see? Well, we don't care what you think. We know who we are and what we're capable of. You seem to be the one that's confused. Isn't that right? Michael? <laughs> oh, Doc Hendrickson. Wait a minute. Doc Hendrickson, one time known as Michael P.S. Hayes, a member of the legendary Fabulous Freebirds team in the 80s, and they have he has just been attacked well, evidently the by the Brood. The Brood just attacked Doc Hendrickson. And he can't, can't see anything that's going on. All I know is they called him by his real name, and then suddenly the lights went out. And... What? Wait, wait. Oh, my God. Doc Hendricks, the victim of another brood bloodbath. That's that psychological tactic that the brood uses against their opponents. They surprise him and then give him a bloodbath. So for my money, Christian is clearly the smartest member of this stable because when Doc Hendricks puts the microphone in his face, he just stares blankly without saying anything. So smart move, Christian. Smart move. But yes, as you heard there, Gangrel cuts a really bad promo, awkwardly tripping over the word search and mixing in that goofy heh <laughs> heh 
laugh. Truly one of the more hard-to-listen-to promos I've ever heard, because it's not like Scott Steiner or Sid who cut terrible promos that are also enjoyable. When Gangrel was speaking, I just kind of felt bad for him because he's so out of his element. Thankfully, Edge does a better job with his mic time, although really it's hard not to do a better promo than that one. And really, it's not that great, but it did remind me of Martin Landau's Oscar-winning performance as Bella Lugosi in the movie Ed Wood when Edge said, Beware, take care. So that was nice. Beware, take care. And so, as you heard, Doc Hendricks accuses the Brood of basically just being a cheap gimmick, to which Gangrel responds by saying that Doc is the one who is confused, and Gangrel then refers to him by his real name, Michael. And just to really drive the point home, Jim Cornette on commentary then flat out tells us that Doc Hendricks is actually Michael P.S. Hayes, formerly one of the fabulous Freebirds, and really, I have no idea why they didn't just always have him go by that name in the first place, but apparently they finally realized their mistake four years later. So once Gangrel calls him Michael, the lights go out, and when they come back on, as you might expect, Michael P.S. Hayes has been given a bloodbath. And honestly, I think the brood kind of did him a favor by destroying that hideous yellow jumpsuit, but that's just my two cents. But Martin, what do you think of the brood's first promo and Michael Hayes getting a bloodbath? This is legendarily awful yep. on Gangrel's part. There is nothing good I can say about this. <laughs> it, it's purely because... it. Well, to quote Hayes slash Hendricks, it does make the brood look like a cheap gimmick. <laughs> right. it, it, it really does. Because <laughs> it's like, well, the be-all and end-all is that entrance and the look and the music, because as soon as, as, soon as, they open their, uh, you know, as, soon as Gangrel opens his mouth... It's all undone. It's it, it, you know it falls apart like a cheap soup, which ironically is is what Hendrix is wearing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's God love him, but you know Gangrel was not put upon this earth to deliver promos. So whoever decided that he should, probably should have thought maybe not. Well, in fairness, though, it's probably tough to deliver promos with, like, two fangs in your mouth, though, you know? Yeah, th- yeah, those capped teeth. I think that's the problem. He, he, he stumbles over his words, particularly with its S sounds. So I, I just think it's a case of he's not comfortable with those with the, with the fangs. So, and the poor guy's you know, got to go out there and in front of a massive crowd and say re- loads of really complicated words, because it's not like... He can't. He can get away with saying, you know, just give me a hell yeah or yeah. rest in peace. They've given him like dialogue to say. Maybe, so maybe now the DX is kind of like imploding. Gangrel should have the phrase "suck it" because he's he's a bloodsucker. Oh, I applaud that, sir. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. And on a side note, what is it with the the whole we can't call it blood thing? Yeah. Which which is um, weird because they do literally call it a blood bath, but when he's like drinking the viscous liquid or whatever they call it, like you, you can't call it blood when he's drinking the blood. It's really bizarre. This is one of those twenty years hindsight fantasy booking. All you needed to say was, "Yes, it's not what you think it is," but they just you know it's to get into their opponents' heads. They take on the aff- affectations or the mannerisms of a vampire. That's it. That's that's it. That's it. Explained away entirely, and you don't have to dance around the whole red liquid thing. 
I'm surprised they didn't like they didn't say like uh, oh Michael P S Hayes he just got a a, a brood bath he's he's had an accident with the tomato ketchup in catering again yeah that's right <laughs> it's it's visually it's phenomenal the whole fire entrance and yeah the idea that like these these you know these weirdo goth kids would throw this like blood around but again you didn't need to like you, you just need to say parents it's all right it isn't real blood but it's like the shock of it and the humiliation that comes of being in front of a, <laughs> a you know an arena full of people the fact that you know these three weirdo goth kids have managed to get the drop on you and <laughs> cover you in this red this, you know this horrible red paint or whatever yeah no, um, actually i will ask though did you did you think edge's portion of the promo was okay yeah it's the there's something funky about the way he does it i think it's because it's edge always looks as though he's got the biggest shit eating grin on his face <laughs> yes, that's, that's true again it's not to take anything away because he is an incredibly handsome man but i think he's too handsome for <laughs> for that it's impossible for him to look like creepy he just kind of looks happy right which you know a happy vampire is is a thing i guess but sure but yeah, the the delivery was kind of wonky, and I think the problem is coming after poor old Gangrel, who I felt really bad for. It's not like laughably bad in that you can watch, oh, the, you know, the poor guy made one mistake. It's just that poor guy was sent out there to die, and he's trying his best, but the world is against him. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like you said earlier, Christian is by far the smartest man in the entire in the re- entire federation at that point to to not say a damn word. Yep, he he definitely but had the right idea. It is legendarily bad, but it's not in a way that you you know you you can say, oh well, those guys didn't deserve success or whatever. It wasn't. It was in a retrospect career threatening because it it kind of <laughs> under under undoes the whole gimmick. But they tried, bless them. <laughs> I think you know if if my mum was watching this, she'd probably just go, well, they you know they tried their best. That's right. Yeah. Everybody goes for ice cream afterwards. It's okay. Yeah, yeah that kind of thing. It's it's. I I just feel sorry for them for having to do that rather than anger at them for for you know for not being able to do it at all. But yeah, I, I, in terms of career threatening, I think it definitely threatens Gangrel's career. That's for sure. Just on a, but, a, again, not to harp on a bit, but to me, is, did Gangrel ever look young? Because here he's like something like twenty eight, but it looks like he's in his mid forties. Well, he's he's immortal. Ah, yes, that that probably explains it. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah. It, it kind of looks younger now in 2019 when I've seen him. Yeah, I'd believe that, actually. It's, it's, the 90s were rough for a lot of people, weren't they? Yeah, I actually, for some reason, I kind of feel that way about Christian, too. I feel like, for some reason, the long hair he's rocking right now kind of makes him look old. But, like, when, yeah. he, when he cuts that hair short, he looks, he looks like he's 20 years younger. Again, underneath it all, he's a damn handsome man. Oh, yeah. No question. I think the the short hair look is actually a really good look for him. But like this long hair, he kind of he kind of looks just goofy. He that's he looks goofy basically. If 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 wrestling was big into like marketing aggressively marketing you know their stars as heartthrobs, you know like like you know male pop stars are those guys could have cleaned up. Oh yeah, Edging Christian oh, yeah. could have been like superstar. They should have been in three count, is what you're saying? Yeah, basically, yeah. 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 I I basically want the brood to be goth three count <laughs> nice well that'd be a combination there when i was in high school the goth movement and the uh the boy band movement were kind of going on at the same time if only someone had merged them if only oh would have been would have been groundbreaking 
It's a case of sync my fangs into your neck. Oh, shit. Wow. Round of applause for that one. Round of applause there. So, yeah, so after that masterful segment concludes, we cut backstage where Billy Gunn is walking around and looking for X-Pac. So apparently Mr. Ass is not just content to end his partnership with the Road Dog, but now he's also looking to get into it with X-Pac as well. And after a commercial break, we go elsewhere backstage, where Kevin Kelly is with Ken Shamrock. So tonight, he faces Bradshaw in a no-holds-barred match, and remember that Bradshaw interfered in Shamrock's match against The Undertaker at Backlash, and then this past Monday on Raw, the Acolytes jumped Shamrock before his match with Bradshaw could even begin, with Test making the save. So with that in mind, Shamrock cuts a rather restrained promo, saying he's going to break Bradshaw's arms, legs, and spirit, and then he's going to beat the crap out of him some more after that. Simple, but effective, I suppose. And that does indeed segue us into our next match, Ken Shamrock versus Bradshaw in a no-holds-barred street fight. So Bradshaw walks down the ramp holding a baseball bat, but before he can even get in the ring, Shamrock jumps him from behind, so we are underway. And these two proceed to have an okay-ish brawl with both men getting the chance to use that aforementioned baseball bat. And the finish of the match comes when Shamrock hits Bradshaw in the stomach with the bat, followed by hitting him in the face with the butt end of it, although I'm pretty sure Shamrock just put his hand over the end of the bat so he didn't kill Bradshaw. And from there, Shamrock put the bat around Bradshaw's neck and proceeded to choke him out, or, well, I think that was the initial idea, but instead of putting the bat under Bradshaw's throat, it was actually kind of resting on the side of his neck for some reason, but whatever. Either way, referee Tim White checked on Bradshaw, and he had lost consciousness, so he called for the bell, meaning that your winner of the match is Ken Shamrock. However, after the match concluded, Shamrock refused to relinquish the chokehold, so a bunch of other referees and WWF officials ran into the ring, and, well, that proved to be a bad decision for Sergeant Slaughter, because Shamrock then proceeded to hit Sarge with the bat, and then drive the butt end into his chest a few times. And FYI, Martin, I think this is the first we've seen of Sergeant Slaughter on camera since November, when he relinquished his commissioner position so Shawn Michaels could take over, but he's probably hoping, that he's probably uh, retroactively thinking he should have stayed in retirement. But anyway, what did you think of uh, Shamrock versus Bradshaw here? I, I, I like this. Again, short, punchy, just a, a sweet little sort of hoss brawl thing. Love the finish, the idea of Bradshaw passing out. Mm-hmm. Which shows shows just how low he was on the totem pole at this point. Yeah, because he he became a, a favoured son at, at some point. But uh, again, if the if the idea is to to get over, I think Ken Shamrock more than anything because Bradshaw is Bradshaw. You know, it's, it, he he was like the opposite of Test in that Test was done a disservice by being in the in the beaten by the, the way he was. This was a case of now. This is we're just trying to get Ken over to the audience, mm-hmm. and it 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 works. I mean, you'd buy this dude was an absolute monster because he was, <laughs> or oh, is because yeah. I mean oh, yeah. he's diver, as we recalled this. You know, again, letting daylight in on magic in late August. Ken Shamrock is preparing to redebut for uh, for Impact. Is he really? Oh, I didn't, I didn't hear that. Yeah, it's 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 doing the rounds on uh, on Twitter. Uh, Ken Shamrock's going to be at what. One of their pay per views. I think he's. I think he's actually having a match against Moose. Wow! No shit. Yeah. So twenty years later, we've got uh, a Ken Shamrock comeback. So yeah, and love the finish. Felt incredibly realistic. Like you said, yeah, the bat was perhaps not in the best place for the camera work, but 
I'd rather I'd rather them do that than him actually have it to his throat and possibly really hurt the dude. So, well, I don't know. I, I mean, JBL has bullied so many people over the years. Yeah, it, it might it might have been earned. Yeah, if one of those bat shots was just perhaps a little a little mistimed and a little laid in, yeah. that wouldn't have that I wouldn't have minded, shall we say? Yeah. But uh, again, credit to uh, to uh, Cornet on commentary explaining, you know, the the where I think trying to cover where he says the bat was resting on on the carotid artery, mm-hmm. right? Um, making Bradshaw pass out instead of across the throat. Well done on him for that. And yeah, the, the afters it's always always fun when they do the Ken Shamrock goes nuts on a group of officials. Oh yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm more more than happy with uh, with that. Yeah. Um, and and by the way, the baseball bat is kind of like a new thing for Shamrock because like, you know, he wasn't he yeah. wasn't crazy enough already. We got to give him a bat now. So. Yeah. Yeah, instead of his you know the idea of that his hands and feet are like lethal weapons, I think I think you know the late Vader could attest to that. From that classic they had in 1997, oh, yeah. they couldn't couldn't walk for three days after having a match with Ken. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's a case of yeah, we'll now give him a bat. I did love his uh, t-shirt and jorts combo. It's like prototype for ironic prototype John Cena. Yeah. Yes. Prototype John Cena. Yeah, that's kind of redundant. Prototype John Cena, but I, I see your point. I see your point. <laughs> he was a prototype. Prototype. Yeah. Exactly. So yes, from there we go backstage yet again, where Kevin Kelly is with Mankind in the boiler room. And I'm just going to go ahead and play Foley's interview for you here, because he basically introduces himself to the UPN audience and spells out his entire character for any new viewers who may be watching for the first time. Mankind tonight here on SmackDown, you renew an old rivalry against the big boss man. Oh, Kevin, as I was sitting in this boiler room, I suddenly had the feeling... Doggone it, why don't we just call off the whole thing for forgive, forgive and forget, let bygones be forgotten. Then I realized if I were to do that, I'd be out of a job and UPN would be out one sports entertainment spectacular. So for those of you who don't know me, let me explain myself. I sit in boiler rooms because I enjoy the ambiance. I wear a sweaty leather mask because it helps me sell little dolls. I wear a shirt and tie because it looks so damn good. And I will shove this rancid sock that looks a lot like me down the gullet of the boss man because I can. And because the fans seem to enjoy it quite a bit. Have a nice day. Xbox, you can't hide from me forever. Xbox, yeah. And what a whiner. So, yes, I think Mick Foley nicely summed up his character there. And also, as you heard at the tail end of that promo, we hear Billy Gunn off-camera yelling for X-Pac, which causes Mankind to call him a whiner. So, apparently, Mr. Ass thinks that X-Pac would be hiding from him in the boiler room for some reason? I don't know, that seems like a stretch to me, but whatever. But, Martin, did you also enjoy this Mankind promo? Yes. Uh, How I said that Gangrel was not put upon this earth to deliver dialogue and promos Mick Foley was definitely put upon this earth to deliver promos indeed it just it's it just makes it just effortless I defy anybody to to hear not hear that for the first time and not be an instant fan of this man <laughs> yeah right really yeah yeah he's just, it's really good again this is this is what crystallized the idea of that oh they're going for a slightly you know, a new audience here by having it explicitly 
So you know, here is my character, and here are my character motivations. Right. I I wear this mask because it helps me sell action figures or whatever he says. Yeah, in a in a in a wonderfully nineties like post ironic way. It's wonderful. It's really, really. I don't want to use the word sweet because that makes it sound like it was twee and <laughs> uh, you know. But it's one of those. Where it's like, oh yeah, there's the there's the mankind we like. Oh yeah. And well, actually, and on that note, that segues us perfectly into the next match too, because we go into the arena for mankind versus the very forgiving big boss man. So we get off to a pretty hot start here as Bossman jumps fully right at the beginning of the match, but Mankind quickly turns the tide by hitting him with a double-arm DDT and pulling out Mr. Socko. However, upon seeing that, Bossman exits the ring and starts walking up the ramp until a FUBU-wearing Tess comes up on him from behind and tosses Bossman back into the ring. However, Bossman goes on the offensive and charges at Mankind, but Foley low-bridges him, causing Bossman to fall right back down to the floor. And from there, the Big Show then emerged from backstage, and he proceeded to press-slam Bossman right over the top rope and back into the ring. And, by the way, all of this outside interference is going on right in front of referee Teddy Long, and I feel like he could probably call for a DQ, but he decides not to. So, yes... Back in the ring, Mankind puts Socko in Bossman's mouth, taking him down to the ground. From there, Teddy Long does indeed call for the bell, so your winner of the match is Mankind. And after the match, Big Show, Tess, and Mankind all leave separately, but Michael Cole says that they are, quote, perhaps unified with a corporate agenda sending a message to Shane McMahon. I don't know, Mankind, Big Show, and Tess, I think that would be a pretty unlikely union, but I don't know, Martin, what do you think of this match? Um, yeah, I, I. This was like lightning quick, but given what we've seen Paul Mick go through in 1999, I, <laughs> anything that lets him walk away from it, I think is is more than adequate. Yeah, it was again. It was just like a, an interesting, neat little character piece to to introduce mankind to a wider audience because he is the kind of character that does need some explanation. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, yeah that, that's true. That is true. And it was a neat thing to watch a guy like Bossman perhaps get his comeuppance. Yeah, you know, it's always fun to watch you know, the, the, the goonish henchman get his. So you, you buy that a guy like Test and a guy like Big Show, here come the, here come the good guys to, uh, to, to beat up the baddie. So, I, 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 again, just because of the, the big characters and the big personalities involved and its, its brevity, but there was a lot that in there, not a lot was wasted. It's hard for me to say anything, but yeah, again, I liked it. I can see why UPN picked the, you know, picked the show up. Yeah, it's absolutely. Really, you know, it, this, I'll, I, you know, I'll, I'll go into great thing at the end, but this really was the best showing the WDF could do. Yeah, I agree. This was, again, like you said, it, it, very similar to the uh, Test versus Big Show match. It's short, it's to the point, but it really showcases the strengths of the performers. And uh, in this case, some, there's a bit of overlap with the performance, because now we have Boss Man, or excuse me, now we have uh, Big Show and Test in this segment as well with Mankind, and obviously that's leading towards, again, without spoiling too, too much, something that happens on the following episode of Raw, where these guys sort of come together. So, But yeah, this is this is really good stuff quick hitter as as I'm very used to on Monday Night Raw these very quick segments that kind of get the point across 
But yeah, a great introduction to Mankind. And Big Boss Man, we already saw him earlier tonight, too, being kind of like the weaselly heel. And then later in the night, there you go, Mankind gives him his comeuppance for being a, a sort of weaselly heel. And Big Show shows up again, Tess shows up again to kind of further that point. So yeah, I, again, I agree with you. Thumbs up, thumbs up for the segment. And so we then cut backstage once again, where Billy Gunn has now found X-Pac, and he proceeds to attack him, taking him down to the ground and punching X-Pac in the face. However, he only gets a few shots in until Kane comes up from behind and pulls Billy off him. So Mr. Ass then yells that he's not through with either of them yet, and he heads off. Now, I gotta say... I have to assume this was probably a pretty shocking moment at the time, since Billy Gunn and X-Pac have been in DX together for just over a year now, but needless to say, it appears that DX is hanging on by a thread at this point. Not good times for one of these stronger WWF factions in recent memory. So we then cut elsewhere backstage, where we see both The Rock and Stone Cold separately making their way to the ring. And really, the only noteworthy part here is the fact that Rock just randomly decides to spit a huge loogie out of his mouth, which probably landed on one of those production crates. Pretty gross and unnecessary there, Dwayne. I mean, come on, if you gotta do that, do it before the cameras roll, my man. That was just, that was just gross. Yeah, not, not setting a good example for the kids watching. Yeah, and again, it was he's just walking around backstage and he just hawks a massive loogie. I, I don't know why, but sure. So after a commercial break, we do indeed go back inside the arena for our main event of the evening, and what a main event it is, WWF champion Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock versus corporate ministry members The Undertaker and Triple H, accompanied by Shane McMahon, Paul Bearer, China, and the Mean Street Posse. So fun fact, Martin, both these pairs of tag team partners faced each other at SummerSlam 98, and they will also end up facing each other at WrestleMania X7. So clearly, the WWF enjoys booking them to go against each other on the same pay-per-view card, it seems. Clearly. And rightfully so. And we start the match with The Undertaker and Triple H working over The Rock before Stone Cold even enters, but then, yes, the glass breaks, and the fans proceed to go apeshit as Austin comes to the ring and starts kicking ass. Good times. So the beginning portion of the match mostly features Stone Cold and Triple H going head-to-head, but eventually each man tags out, and the next section of the match is The Rock and The Undertaker squaring off. And I have to say, Martin, they only give this match about five minutes for some reason, and like I said before, that's only one minute more than Shamrock and Bradshaw got. I feel like they definitely could have cut at least maybe one of those undercard matches to give this a little more time, but obviously trying to get everybody on the show. So anyway, toward the end of the match... The Rock grabbed The Undertaker and had him in position for the rock bottom, but Triple H ran into the ring and broke it up. So Stone Cold then also ran into the ring to fend off Triple H, and the whole thing basically turned into a schmoz, and so let's pick it up from there. Rock now whipped into the corner by the Phenom. Undertaker misses. Rock counters. Rock bottom. Rock bottom. Triple H. And here's Austin now. Austin with the right hand to Triple H. Two men, Stone Cold came off the way to run it. Wait a minute. It's 
with a boot to the face. Keep in mind, folks, the referee has called for the bell. This thing is spread all over the building. They're fighting the crowd. They're fighting on the stage. And they're shading the man with that metal forward chair. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Austin Austin what a counter by Austin. Undertaker. Oh, oh no, Austin. Could be planted here with a choke slam. Choke slam. Okay, so a lot happened there, so let me just break it all down for you. With Austin, Rock, Undertaker, and Triple H battling amongst each other, the remaining members of the corporate ministry then ran into the ring and started beating on Austin and Rock, resulting in a disqualification. The corporate ministry appeared to be in control until The Big Show, Test, and Ken Shamrock also ran out from backstage to chase off the corporate ministry, with two of the exceptions being The Rock and Triple H, who fought each other through the crowd. So at this point, the ring was cleared of everyone except for Stone Cold and The Undertaker, and Taker actually managed to get the better of Austin by nailing him with a chokeslam. And at that point, Shane McMahon slid a chair into the ring so Taker could clobber Austin, but once he did that, 
Vince McMahon ran down to ringside and punched his own son in the face. From there, with The Undertaker about to hit Stone Cold with a chair, Vince ran into the ring and grabbed the chair in order to save Austin, but that didn't work out too well for Vince. Why? Because The Undertaker then clobbered Vince with a sick, unprotected chair shot to the skull, knocking him unconscious, and as you heard in that clip, Jim Cornette flat-out speculated that Vince had a concussion, and he expressed concern for Vince's safety. Because, you know, we clearly had no idea of the dangers of chair shots back in 1999. But as it turns out, Vince's distraction actually did work, because when The Undertaker turned back around, Stone Cold nailed him with a stunner. Austin then started celebrating, but somehow we're still not done because Shane McMahon then enters the ring and starts punching his unconscious father in the face, and that's just unnecessary, I mean, my god. But that proves to be a mistake for Shane, because Stone Cold then flips him off and nails Shane with a stunner as well. So the boy wonder rolls out of the ring, leaving Vince alone on the canvas. Austin then takes one of his celebratory beers and pours it on the chairman to revive him, and that is how we go off the air. So, Martin, what did you think of our main event and the subsequent post-match shenanigans? It almost felt like a bait-and-switch. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have this you know, this epic match. Thankfully, it wasn't too heavily hyped, and we did get a bit of a match. Um, mm. <laughs> so that's fine. Yeah, I, you know it's going to end in some kind of schmalls. You, it's That's just how how it's done how of wrestling's course. done at this time so I, I can't hate it for that it, again to serve as an advertising hoarding for the product I, th- I can't think of a better way around it you've got these incredible like god tier talents because I mean even even like guys like I, Triple H is like there almost he's, he's just kind of bubbling under at this point he's still not quite that top tier guy, you know, right. as we said earlier, he, he's the guy wearing the WWF Attitude shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Out of all of these, he doesn't yet have his own merch to wear. So, but we all know what he becomes. So, with 20 years of retrospect, you think, wow, this is what the, the biggest match the WWF could possibly have advertised at that time. And yeah, there would have been fools to do, to give us like a proper match with a, with a, a, a finite ending on this like sampler show so for, again taking on its own merits for what it was it was a fun thrill ride there you go and actually I mean on honestly like the four guys in this match you could make the argument that they're like the Attitude Era Mount Rushmore pretty much I mean yeah. Rock Austin Triple H Undertaker maybe if you want to throw Mankind in there instead of you know one of them but I mean yeah, this is it, like it's, yeah. it's, it's like Mankind slash Triple H. It's like that's the that's the, the that would be the big debate point of of a Mount Rushmore of the ITV era. But yeah, I totally totally agree with what you said. Yeah, and I enjoyed the match too. Like you were saying, it was it was short for I mean for a match featuring all these guys to only give it like five minutes is I would say pretty short. They were basically keeping you know Austin separate from Taker and they were keeping Rock separate from Triple H for most of the match because those are the feuds that we're going to get you know leading up to Over the Edge. Which is fine. But yeah, the end segment, again, as we saw in the first part where, you know, 
Vince is getting the asshole chance, but they're trying to make him more of a babyface. And he kind of gets that rub at the end when Austin pours the beer on him to revive him. Because Austin, he's not giving him the stunner, as we've been seeing a billion times. He's like, Vince is unconscious on the canvas, so Austin kind of, you know, dumps the beer on him to revive him. He kind of comes to Vince's rescue when Shane is beating on him. So it is, it's, they're doing a, a lot, a lot of the legwork to make Vince a much more sympathetic figure, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they've perhaps done it better than in the run-up to, say, like, WrestleMania. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it, you, they still had the lingering Austin versus McMahon feud that they didn't really want to nix. So Vince still had to be this incredibly sympathetic figure in, like, hour one of the show, that in hour two you were supposed to cheer whenever he got his ass kicked by Stone Cold. Right. Yeah, yeah, that was a very confusing type booking that they were doing, even like in the weeks after WrestleMania, because like literally the night after WrestleMania, Vince McMahon is smacking Stone Cold in the face with the smoking skull belt. But then, you know, later on in the show, The Undertaker is, you know, he's he's kidnapping Stephanie on that same show and we're supposed to feel bad for Vince. So uh, eventually they do straighten that out a little bit where like Vince is now just like full on, you know, they're attempting to make him a full on baby face. But there was quite a bit of like, you know, that sort of like overlap in in a couple of like the intervening weeks. It it was always going to be an incredible uphill battle to get people to like Vince. So and fair play on this show. They got the right cheers at the right times. Yep. They did for Vince anyway. I'm still, I'm still, still angry at these retroactively angry at these fans for cheering, essentially rape comments. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, <laughs> but yeah. But in terms of in terms of this, the, the desired reaction was hit pretty much every time. Yeah, and they they've done a good job of that too at Backlash because at Backlash Vince hits Shane in the face with the belt, and you can hear like you know, chants in the crowd of like, Vince, Vince, Vince. Yeah. And then on Monday, the previous Monday, when Stone Cold saves Stephanie, like the fans are chanting for Stone Cold by the end of the show. They want him to save Stephanie, you know, and come to come to the aid of, of Vince's daughter. So they're, they're doing a good job with this. Obviously, you know, we heard the asshole chants at the top of the show for Vince, but maybe that was a show of respect. You know, who yeah, knows? I, who I, knows? I think, I think that's like the you suck chants for Kurt Angle. Right. <laughs> it just became... It became just a thing we do when his music hits. I think it's that kind of thing. It's it may be out of out of respect, but I think it's just more a we're conditioned to whenever Vince is is in the ring, we chant asshole at him. Yeah, it's like a it's a Pavlovian response at this point. It is. It is. It's uh, you know, ring the bell and we all salivate like like wild dogs. Oh yeah. <laughs> So yes, that was how SmackDown ended, but we're not done just yet. So on that note, let's take it to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed MCs back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. A freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been thugging. Then he passed out more hoes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas, out of my fucking mind. It won't let me back in. Cause I was down before the heights like Dusty Rhodes and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now I'm rocking Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster plucking. Chickens when they plucking. Cause WWF stands for women where we fucking. The ratings recap. 
So, Martin, normally when I do this segment, I'm comparing the Raw and Nitro ratings, which obviously is not an option here. However, SmackDown was up against an episode of WCW Thunder, so fortunately we can dive into that instead. Now, on this night, SmackDown scored a solid 4.0 rating, which was actually considered a bit of a disappointment, considering the fact that Raw has been putting up sixes lately. But of course, because this was a Thursday... SmackDown would have been going up against NBC's vaunted must-see TV lineup of Friends, Will and Grace, Frasier, and uh, Veronica's Closet. So, okay, three out of four in bet. But it's a bit of a different scenario than what they face on Mondays. I will not hear a word said against uh, Victoria's Closet. That's that's mostly because I'm deaf. <laughs> well, actually, it was Veronica's Closet, but close enough. Close enough. <laughs> I will not hear anyone besmirch the good name of Kiersey Alley. Come on. Um, but yeah, so by the way, in case there are any sitcom fans out there, Martin, the episode of Friends they were up against was called The One with the Ride-Along, where Phoebe does a ride-along with her cop boyfriend, and the episode of Frasier they were up against was called Dr. Nora, where Frasier's show is doing well in the ratings, so his network asked him to hire another doctor to host a similar show. Are you a fan of either one of those programs? It is impossible for you not to be a fan of those in <laughs> Britain, because they are... They are repeated eternally. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I, God love uh, Channel 4 here in the UK. I love you. You have made some of the best shows of the last 30 years. But we do not need, is it two or three episodes of Frasier every single morning of the week? Wow. And, wow. When, and when the run ends, they just start again from the beginning of season <laughs> one. And they've done that for the past two years. And Friends is, like, yeah, this weird cultural touchstone. It's currently airing on two separate channels Jeez. here in the UK both of which advertise the fact that they are airing friends wow. it's odd it is just odd how well we took to some of the, the big American sitcoms interesting so so they are pretty popular over across the pond then too incredibly Frasier I think used to air yeah you 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 got Frasier I mean this is this is in like the, the early to mid 90s you would get Frasier on the Thursday. We would get it that Friday. Oh, okay. Normally, we would we would have to wait weeks, months. Yeah, there was no simultaneous thing. But networks would go out very much go out of their way and would pay any price to be able to get the likes of Cheers and Frasier on their networks as quick as possible. It's American sitcoms were something that we genuinely took to our hearts and still do. Well, actually, then I think that actually makes a really good case because, you know, SmackDown was up against those shows as they were first airing 20 years ago. But even yeah. now, you're saying in 2019, there's still a huge demand for those shows. Even across the pond, even in Britain, there's a huge demand for those shows 20 years later. So that, that lets you know how much of literally must-see TV it really was. Like, you had to be parked in front of your TV on a Thursday night to watch all that shit. The, the, the Friends finale episode was hyped... I think a year in advance. Wow. They were running trails for it. Yeah, you know, it was it was literally was, you know, like must must see. It was it was hyped like like a sporting event. It was it was it was big. It was incredibly big. Yeah. I, I, I didn't even mention too the fact that like I gave you the eight to ten line up there with like friends and Fraser and that, but then at ten o'clock you'd put ER on, which I think was also the most popular show on television here in the States for a while too. So that whole yes. night you you sat on your uh, you sat on your couch from eight to eleven and you didn't fucking move apparently. So there was yep. it basically SmackDown was up against some very different competition than Raw was on a Monday night. I don't know was everybody loves Raymond on Monday, something like that. I don't know. But uh so, and, and to to pull a four 
is incredible because I mean in 2019 admittedly yeah the television landscapes changed WWE would would kill would sacrifice any number of animals to any number of pagan gods for a four. <laughs> oh yeah and actually on that note like I said before so 4.0 is basically higher than anything else UPN put on TV except for Star Trek Voyager which actually averaged a 4.9 that season so Star Trek was beating them at least you know there this the average Star Trek show was beating the one-off Smackdown show but uh, so that was that was basically UPN's one show that would actually get some eyeballs but meanwhile over in WCW Thunder scored a 2.5, the lowest rating for the show ever in its regular time slot. So yeah, it's pretty clear that SmackDown ate into their ratings pretty substantially. But for the sake of comparison, Martin, here's what you could have been watching over on TBS instead on this night. So Kurt Hennig defeated Booker T via disqualification, so Booker retained his World Television Championship. Stevie Ray defeated Jerry Flynn. Kevin Nash defeated Hack. Goldberg defeated Ming. Randy Savage defeated the Disciple, and fun fact for you here, Martin, at this point, Randy Savage was being accompanied by Team Madness, which was composed of three women, his real-life girlfriend, Gorgeous George, Medusa, and Miss Madness. Now, do you happen to remember who Miss Madness was? Isn't that who later became Molly Holly in the WWF? You are correct. That is yes. that is true, yes. I didn't even know this, you know, uh, until I, like, retroactively was researching this stuff. But yes, apparently Molly Holly, who has not debuted in the WWF yet, she was part of Team Madness. So good call, good call. And in your main event, World Heavyweight Champion Diamond Dallas Page defeated Bam Bam Bigelow in a Falls Count Anywhere match to retain his title. So, Martin, does that sound like an episode of Thunder you would have wanted to watch? At the time, probably not. <laughs> 20 years hence, when I hear the words, or when I learn of the fact that there was a televised match between Kevin Nash and the Sandman, <laughs> wrestling in WCW as, as Hack, yep. that piques more interest than perhaps it should to any sane individual. <laughs> that, that's one of those, I got to know. Right, you're right. <laughs> I, I, I would then wouldn't care about it. Now, definitely want to see how that one turned out. Right. Oh, hey, also, Goldberg against Ming. I mean, that's pretty interesting, especially if it was if it had been an actual shoot fight, it would have been more interesting. But Goldberg and yes. Ming, you know, I'm sure Goldberg, who at the time had a reputation for kind of, you know, roughing up his opponents a bit, I'm guessing he probably minded his P's and Q's with, uh, with Ming in the ring. Call, call <laughs> yes. me crazy. It's like everybody is a hard man right up until the moment Ming <laughs> locks eyes with them. That's right. So yes, but uh, on that note, let's take it to, well, I was going to say the Raw synopsis, but I guess it's the SmackDown synopsis on this night. So Martin, what did you think of the, the pilot episode of SmackDown? If indeed the the idea behind this was to be like a sampler of the, like, you know, what to expect from WWF programming with an eye to, for it to be picked up, because again, there was no guarantees at this point, it's, it's a huge win. This is this is perhaps the one show where you could genuinely, genuinely offer it up to a non-wrestling fan, and they would completely get the vibe of of what was going on in in one show without the need for much in the way of context or notes. You know, you wouldn't need to have give someone like like the cliff notes of WWF. <laughs> it hit everything it needed to hit. Introduced all these crazy wacky characters or you know these 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 ultra hard men 
you got an idea of what the gimmicks were yeah it's 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 impossible for me to say anything other than this was this was damn enjoyable it was like just a nice bite-sized like five hour energy hit of, of <laughs> WWF it was WWF distilled into like an espresso I like that. that that's pretty good yeah I, I'll say if they can put on shows this entertaining for two hours when they move to Fox in October I think they'll be doing some some a lot of stuff right basically because this yeah, was yeah. this is a thumbs up for me absolutely easy thumbs up because really everything was pretty enjoyable uh, even the one part that wasn't the brood promo that was you can at least go back and maybe watch that if you like sort of like cringe comedy where you're just sitting there the whole time being like Ugh, I don't know I don't know so it, it's worth it from that perspective but everything else like Obviously, I'm not going to complain about a main event with four of the biggest stars in the history of wrestling. That was awesome. The formation of the corporate ministry, though, you can argue, again, how much sense it made was certainly an interesting development. But but makes sense, like I said, from the perspective of the corporation being completely depleted. Uh, it can definitely I can definitely see why they would want to put them together with the ministry, too. And the wrestling, actually, the actual wrestling on the show was, for the most part, pretty good, which I am not saying a lot about the uh, the episodes of Monday Night Raw lately. So yeah, this is this is a big thumbs up for me as well. I would definitely recommend you go ahead and check out this show for certain. So any, anything further you'd like to add about uh, SmackDown? Just as a a thing, it was it's it's great to see a show know its limitations and work within its limits. One of my main complaints about WWE at the moment as a as a modern fan is there's just so much of it. It's not just the number of shows, it's the length of those shows. Mm-hmm. It's it's an incredibly exhaustive time watching WWE. You really do have to be able have to thoroughly pick and pick and choose what, you know, your battles. So, it was nice to just have like I said just this 2-hour sort of hit of of, you know, some some decent WWF action that was firmly within the trappings of the Attitude Era, but wasn't hamstrung by them it's it's for again all the the issues i have the attitude here isn't my favorite period of wrestling i get for a lot of people why it is for me i it's just for me sometimes the vulgarity and the craziness was a way of papering over the cracks of you know (laughs) of, of some perhaps less than stellar performers or some less than stellar writing you know that kind of thing or like a lack of emphasis on the actual wrestling bit for me, my golden age is literally the golden age, you know, like the, the late 80s, early 90s. Nice. And I, I am a staunch defender of the new generation. For, <laughs> for, all of its, for all of its faults, we wouldn't have had the highs that, we've had, that we had afterwards if, if they weren't for the lows of the new generation. <laughs> so I really, really came away really enjoying this. This was, this was a nice surprise. I was fully expecting a swampy mess of of interconnecting storylines all crashing together and reducing the impact of, of, of everything that touched it. This, however, seemingly got everything right. It was that, that ideal Vince Russo thing of all of these interconnecting stories all weaving together, but at no point did it ever collapse under the weight of, of trying to get a story across. It, it's a shame they can't all be pilots. Yeah, I know, right? If, if, the, if the WWF wasn't guaranteed to have a show next week... <laughs> which is an awful way I mean that's kind of how uh, TNA is you're never quite 100% that there's going to be a show next week um, so if you, you're you always putting your best foot forward so in a weird way 
I, I would like less stability in my wrestling programming. <laughs> and I wonder actually if it was by design that, you know, this this show, they kept a lot of the silly shit off TV. Like we didn't get, as we got on Monday, we didn't get a beaver cleavage vignette on SmackDown. We didn't get, yeah. we didn't get PMS and meat on SmackDown. And that makes me think this was probably by design to be like, you know what, let's put our best foot forward and keep the goofy shit for another time. Yeah, I think when I think of the Attitude Era, it is stuff like that that comes to mind because, unfortunately, I've got a long memory. So yeah, me too. Problem is, I can't romanticise this kind of thing because I remember it all. You know, I remember all the good stuff and the bad stuff. But thankfully, that's one of the beautiful things about being able to look back upon this kind of stuff. You do gain a, a new appreciation for the bits that were genuinely good and you can kind of blot out the bits that were genuinely bad. Or at least enjoy them ironically, because you know that it, it doesn't cause the death of the company or anything like that. Unless it's WCW. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, retroactively, I do enjoy stuff like the Beaver Cleavage vignettes, because I'm just like, where did they think this was going? Like, from, yeah. from like a, a sociological perspective, you're just like, he's in the he's a 1950s television character, and he's going to wrestle? You're, you're going to do that? Okay, sure, why not? So I, I can still enjoy that stuff. Definitely much more than enjoying Gangrel cut, you know, like that cringeworthy promo because that's because that's something where I just feel bad for the guy. But stuff like Beaver yes. Cleavage and Meat, I'm just like, oh, okay, Beaver Cleavage and Meat, sure, why not? But again, not, those guys were not on SmackDown. SmackDown really put their best forward on this night, and you should check this episode out. Big, big thumbs up for the SmackDown pilot, the one-off. And so, on that note, I think we can wrap this episode up. So, as always. Thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at rawattitudepod. Or, more importantly, write us a five-star review on iTunes because that helps us find an even wider audience. And, of course, if you do that, I'll be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. And before we wrap up, Martin, would you care to remind the listeners where they can catch you outside of this fine podcast? Yes. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me on again. It's always a pleasure, never a chore. Anytime, anytime. Yeah, for those people interested, you can find me predominantly on Twitter uh, under the username at Bunny Suicida um, for all kinds of, not just wrestling, just general life thoughts as I try and muddle my way through my uh, my own existence. Also, Bunny Suicida on Instagram for the drawings. I tend to put them up there because Instagram has loads of cool filters. And yeah, if you search on Amazon for Martin S. Dixon, my middle initial, because unfortunately there is already an author called Martin Dixon, um, you can find yes although he is number one the number one expert in uh, land law oh, you know, oh great in the logistics of land ownership so I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna step to that guy he knows <laughs> he he literally worships the ground we walk on sorry he'll take your house he will he will um, so yeah uh, amazon.com forward slash author forward slash Martin S. Dixon you can find my stuff there if you fancy a read yeah just 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 say hello. I don't bite much. And if I do, I don't leave a bruise. <laughs> Kinky, all right. Yes. Well, I have nothing further to add about this episode, but as is the custom for the Raw Attitude Podcast, whenever a guest co-host joins the show, they do get to pick the clip that I play at the end of the show. So, Martin, do you have a clip in mind that you would like me to play? Ah, well, unfortunately, I think all the best bits of this show are spoken for. And 
you know, there's 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 temptations. There's oh, you know, you could say oh, he is a Scott Steiner promo. He's he's X Y Z, but I don't know. I'm in, I'm in a mood for for a good old classic Ric Flair promo. So Ooh. anything anything from the master. I know he's not been discussed because you know this is a WWE slash F centric show, but just anything anything from the master the master Ric Flair. I think we'll go down a treat to finish uh, finish off beautiful i'm sure i can find a rick flair promo or two somewhere thank you and i'm also going to play my own clip at the end here as well and it's a clip from edge's dvd you think you know me where edge mick foley and michael ps hayes all talk about tonight's promo and how it ends up being a launching point for edge's career and personally i think that's overselling it a little bit but hey edge himself apparently liked it so good for him uh, and once again, a big thank you to Martin for coming on the show. And I know it's been a little while since you podcasted, but hopefully we can do it again sometime, perhaps? Yes, yes. Thank you very much. I'll, uh, I'd, I'd look forward to it. If there's any, any particular show you've got in mind, just ask and I'll try my best to be there. Fantastic. So I will track down a Ric Flair promo clip for you and I'll thank put you. my own clip there as well. And we will catch you next time. He had those great eyes, those really expressive eyes, and he was able to tell stories without actually speaking. I think everybody thought that that was going to be the, the springboard for, for Gangrel, and they weren't really looking at Edge of Christian, and the exact opposite happened. I love Gangrel, I love Dave, but I knew that he couldn't be the mouthpiece. I, I just knew he didn't have that in him. I remember the first time that he talked, the crowd just went crazy. They will understand. Understanding is just a matter of time. Girls started shrieking. We are who we are. The unholy trio. And we will become what we will become. I think it worked. You know, and I remember Mick Foley saying, man, saw it. That's when I knew. And we, we got a new guy here. It was just that moment where everybody in the back looked at each other and was like, this guy is money. From day one, you could see that magic in edge. I suggest that you beware. Take care. Because the freaks come out at night. <laughs> it was cool. He was young. And you felt, oh boy, this guy's going to go somewhere. Congratulations, Ric Flair, on becoming the undisputed champion of the World Wrestling Federation. Let me just say, after view distorting the belt to proclaim me the real world champion, I'm going to tell you all, with a tear in my eye, this is the greatest moment in my life. When you walk around this world and you tell everybody you're number one, the only way you get to stay number one is to be number one. And this is the only title in the wrestling world that makes you number one. When you are the king of the WWF, you rule the world. Think about it like that, Mr. Perfect. Guys, we're not playing. Let's give a big one! Woo! You did it! I was never so impressed with anything I've ever seen in all my life. He went out.
out there for over 60 minutes, never took a back step, took it to Hogan, took it to The Undertaker, took it to whoever got in that ring. That's why he is hey, Bobby called now the real world's heavyweight champion. We're not the kind of guys that say, we told you so, but uh, we told you so. <laughs> okay, very good. Rick Flair, you have made world... Put that cigarette out. You have made World Wrestling Federation history here tonight. It's the greatest moment of my life. I want to jump. I want to party. But I got to tell you like this. For the Hulk Hogan's and the Macho Man's and the Pipers and the Sids. Now it's Ric Flair. And y'all pay homage to the man. Woo!